So, Russ, our school semester is almost over, and uh, I've got summer plans. You know what I'm going to do? Uh, how many guesses do I get? Just one. You're going to uh, listen to all your CDs. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to listen to CDs. That's exactly right. But what CDs am I going to listen to? Well, I'll tell you. I've got uh, a big pile of opera CDs that are still unlistened to because they're long and they're you know involved. And uh, I'm finally going to have some time. So I'm just going to spend the summer going through my uh, opera CDs from the last one or two years and uh, sort of catch up with them. I'm rather uh, looking forward to it. Wow. I don't, I don't know if I can listen to that much opera myself, but... Um... Yeah, well, I can. I like it enough. But uh, yeah, this is one of the reasons we don't do any opera, like full opera performances on um, this podcast. Is they're just really time consuming. <laughs> it <laughs> they take a long it, time. It takes a lot. There are a lot of elements to discuss as well, and it would just take a lot of work. I think that would have to be a separate podcast. So, I know mm -hmm. we have uh, as a someone who's written about classical music in the past. I know that uh, the majority of the classical audience are opera lovers they there are more people who like opera i think than like say instrumental music so hmm. we probably have a lot of people out there wishing we would talk about opera maybe one day i'll do like a spin-off podcast on that with somebody we'll see i don't know but for now <laughs> there's just no time during the week to do this hmm. that's interesting for me yeah. i can enjoy an opera performance you know with the yeah. visual aspect and the music but just listening i'd much rather go with, uh, you know, oh, orchestral that's, works. That's another and topic. And this is also an idea for uh, a whole other podcast is the, the, the visual element I would normally say helps. But now there's this whole trend going on in opera where they'll reset the time of the opera to something more modern. And I really hate this. I just hate seeing like <laughs> guys in three-piece suits uh you know mozart opera you know it's, oh, wow. it's so ridiculous <laughs> women in pantsuits and stuff it's just not right <laughs> they're trying to save money on costumes no it's not that they, they're kind of i think they're trying to sort of um say oh look this is so relevant to today and you know but it's and it is but it isn't in that way in the way right. that they're trying to make it's kind of arty i don't like it i don't know i just i want to go back i don't i don't necessarily like i've said before i don't need to see wagner with people with horns on their helmets and stuff <laughs> but i mean i think you at least need to be in that sort of the, the era of the opera right. you know if it's like whatever the, that era would be mm -hmm. you know? like in the mozart operas it would be like that 18th century so you'd have people wearing that those the clothes of the era you know yeah, yeah oh so, well I don't know. well i hope i can pry you out of your uh, opera binging for a barbecue or something in the summer oh we'll and, definitely uh, do that yeah. yeah all right we've got a beer garden coming up the uh, adult music uh, beer garden it's right. gonna happen at the end of the month i'm kind yeah, of excited forward about to that, that. yeah yeah uh, it's been a while but after Corona closed everything up. Uh, I think this year it's all good to go. There's a bunch of places open, so we'll get together with some friends and do that. Yeah, we should explain what that is for our, our non-living-in-Japan listeners. Uh, the, these um, department stores, hotels, they often, on the roof of their buildings, they'll often have this um, sort of, um, what would you call it? Uh, beer garden. It's got like yeah. food and it's beer, and it's sort of like modeled on the German beer garden. You know, um, but it's not quite like that. <laughs> you know, it's just it's, it's own Japanese thing. It's really fun, though. Yeah, I really like them. It's a place where uh, mm. things loosen up a bit, and uh, you can yeah. have a good time.
Yeah, another thing is they're kind of Japanese people are they're sort of um friendly drunks. They're not, you know, violent drunks like you get in other parts of the world. So it's usually fun to be around. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's true. All right. Well, it's episode 71 of Adult Music, the podcast with music for the mature mind, and we're here every week with six new recordings, uh, usually half classical and half jazz introducing them to you and i hope we get a lot of listeners following this music that uh, we enjoy so much uh, i yeah. want to remind you before we get into the music that in the episode description you're going to find links to spotify and also apple music for all of the recordings we're going to talk about also at the top of the description there's a link to the full episode playlist with everything in one place on deezer our preferred streaming platform uh, there you can also follow us and hear the podcast, uh, username Adult Music Podcast. Now, if you don't see the full description or the list on whatever app or platform you listen to us on, come over and check us out on our host site, Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and everything is easy to follow there. If you do enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please follow or subscribe on whatever app or platform you listen to us on. If you take a moment to give us a ranking, or write a short review. That also helps us get listed in the browsing category recommendations, and that helps us grow our audience. Uh, also, you can find us on Facebook now. Uh, we're posting some more content on there recently with extra videos and uh, little musical things. So you can leave a message or comment there as well. And if you'd like to contact us directly with any comments or questions, we'd be happy to hear from you by email as well. Our address is Adult Music Podcast, all one word at gmail.com. Yeah, back back on the opera thing. If we're going to talk about opera, this needs to be our full time job. <laughs> we need to be doing this every day. There's no time, you know. Yeah, <laughs> we have we need we need a day job to keep this going. So you, you know. need a new partner for the opera thing. I don't think I can too much heavy lifting yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's heavy lifting. I know, but mm. I don't know. I could, yeah. With so yeah, you you need someone who's really enthusiastic about it, basically, to kind of right. keep you going too. So that's what keeps us going because we're both enthusiastic about our what we're talking about on this podcast. Yeah, we've got some okay. really interesting mixtures of uh, instrumentation and arrangements, uh, both in classical and jazz, this evening. Yeah, and I think we really hit the jackpot this week. They're all really enjoyable recordings. This, uh, I really, I got through these really fast. Actually, mm. <laughs> you know, they were, uh, and then, not only that, we uh, we had all excellent recordings as well. These um, all, I think every one of them came up certainly in the classical category. Came up sounding fantastic. Yeah, the Sonics are good this week. Yeah, you want to get into it? What do you think? Are we ready? Yeah, let's. Uh, any let's any get other chit chat that we want to get out of the way here? We're uh, yeah, as we go, as we go, as we go. Okay, so here we go. Well, we're going to start with classical uh, recordings. Um, we have a recording of uh, called "The Mandolin Seasons," and this is um, Vivaldi's Fourth Seasons, played on the mandolin, and uh, Astor Piazzolla, the the uh, tango bandoneon player and composer from Argentina from the 20th century, also did a, uh, a work really after Vivaldi. Um, he even quotes Vivaldi at, at the end of each movement um, that deals with the four seasons in Buenos Aires and Argentina. So this is by Jacob Reuven. I hope I'm saying these names right because these guys are both Israeli. I don't know how they say the names. Jacob Reuven on mandolin, Omer Meyer Welber uh, on accordion, harpsichord, and he's also the conductor. Hmm. Um, Moritz Klauk on the continual and solo cello 
the Sinfonietta Leipzig is the ensemble, and they are members of the Gewandhaus Orchestra Leipzig. This is on the Hyperion label, a label that I really love, but that doesn't put their music up for streaming. You're going to have to buy this one, and I'm going to urge you to do so because this is a fantastic <laughs> record. It was really enjoyable. <laughs> okay. Yeah, interesting. Now, first, first of all, um, the Four Seasons, okay? Um, this is this is the one work that um, people come up to me and they say, oh, you know, I like, you know, when people want to get into classical music, they'll kind of like say, oh, I like the Four Seasons. They'll say it like apologetically, like it kind of makes them like uncool or something. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's a, it's, it's a great work. That's why people like it. It's, you know, it's just not uh, as complex as other works, but it is, it's not harmonically complex, but it's got some pretty, uh, you know, uh, hot, hot stuff, virtuosity, violin playing in it. And here mm. we're going to hear um, the, the violin, Replaced by the mandolin, so this might be a good um, uh, way for you to kind of rediscover this work if you've had enough of it. It gets recorded a lot. In fact, I think there are three big recordings of it this year. <laughs> that yeah. For on different instruments that I might, uh, yeah, we might talk about one more of them eventually, but we'll see. All right, so this is on the Hyperion label, and uh, before we get into the music, I just wanted to mention the the interesting cover art. Um, it's called um, Sesame. And it's, uh, I don't know who did it. It's copyrighted by Christoph Benichot Architectures. So I guess it's um, from some catalog or something. It's got, you should check it out. Um, you, you, it'll probably be, you'll probably see it on the link when we when we put that up because it'll be the Hyperion link. It's, it's kind of like this cement cube with the openings in it. And the opening, the, the part that's been taken out of the opening is leaned against it. And uh, this cube, this kind of like, light brownish kind of cube i guess it could be white is in the desert or something that looks like a desert and there's some guy walking away from it it's very strange but it is evocative yeah. i have to say <laughs> <laughs> caught my eye anyway so we have some rather unusual artwork for the cover there okay so our um soloist here both reuven and velber are israeli and grew up together in the desert of uh beersheba um mm. they've been friends since childhood and uh, both very musical. Um, I think Reuven studied uh, his um, mandolin, and uh, Velber went into more conducting. So their their relationship professionally these days tends to be uh, Velber conducting the orchestra that Reuven is the soloist for. But mm -hmm. in this case, they've sort of um, changed that up because Velber is playing the accordion on this too, which is a really <laughs> welcome and interesting uh, timbre to be hearing in these works. Maybe not so much in the Piazzolla because he played the Bandoneon, which is a similar instrument, but certainly in the Vivaldi works. This, this is mm -hmm. really unique. All right, well, Vivaldi, you might, um, people who listen to Vivaldi might know that he wrote uh, a lot of concertos for the mandolin, so why aren't we hearing those? They're actually far less complex than the Four Seasons and then the violin concertos that uh, Vivaldi wrote. Hmm. Um, and they're not as vibrant or virtuosic either. Um, you're going to hear some really incredible virtuosity on this record on the mandolin. Um, Reuven's skills as a mandolinist are based on the teachings of the violin schools of Europe, and he puts the, those works to school those those skills to work here. Um, also, Welber's um, the his you know the conductor his playing of the accordion and. Um, his other instruments, what did I say they were? Harpsichord also. Um, 
is um, completely improvised on Continuo, of course, okay, as it, as they would be. Um, so this is, adds a lot of energy to these performances, and they are high-energy performances. These really jump out at you. They're really great. A lot of surprising sounds. It inspires the ensemble to abandon accepted mannerisms and patterns usually used in playing Vivaldi. There's really nothing boring about this recording. It really does sound um, like a... I can't really say a new work, but it's a work rediscovered, let's say, mm. like full of surprises and you don't know what's kind of coming around the corner. And the listener gets to uh, enjoy this too. Um, so anyway, let's uh, jump in here. The first um, work is uh, Vivaldi's uh, F minor violin concerto, Winter. Now, when we hear the uh, Four Seasons, usually it starts with that famous um, spring, you know, sonata, dun, 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 dun. you know that one? Yeah. But no, here we start with... Uh, Winter, and the reason they did this apparently is to match it with the Piazzolla, whose um, I think whose um, traversal through the season starts with winter. Um, Vivaldi's winter doesn't start sounding brightly; it sounds really abstract <laughs> at the beginning, almost like a 20th century work. Really, you, you just sort of he's sort of tone painting here, um, like the the icy the icy cold and things like that. So um, you hear this. Um, uh, let's see, this uh, startling opening, and it sets a good tone to what's to follow. Um, when the mandolin comes in, Reuven, this is the first time you hear him, he flies across the fretboard, clearly articulating every note. It's really amazing. Uh, they all ring, and this is a sm small instrument, so it doesn't have a really long sustain, but he every note just comes out ringing clearly. It's amazing. Um, the, the word I used here to describe it is wow-inducing. Like, you just... I, I really was uh, saying, whoa, this is amazing, all through this uh, performance. Um, the ensemble has very lively energy and uh, points the rhythm sharply. Um, and I mentioned before, gorgeous recording, too. That's going to be the case with all three re recordings we hear tonight. With all the details registering clearly, and the mandolin is placed up front so that all of its sounds can be heard. Uh, it matches the ensemble well, too. Okay, so mandolin, usually a pretty quiet instrument, but we do get it loud and clear. But it doesn't sound unbalanced in any way. Just really fantastic. Okay, the Largo, a complete mood change. This movement represents a man sitting inside by the fire as the snow falls outside. And that's the pizzicati that you hear in the uh, ensemble. That's, that would be the snow falling. Uh, Reuven gets a gentler, more softly articulated tone here. Again, surprising to my ears, I wasn't aware the mandolin could be so versatile. He really does get quite a lot of um, different moods out of it. And the third movement, Allegro, starts with Welber on the accordion. Another big surprise. I really wasn't expecting to hear this either. Uh, the first time we're hearing it on this album, I think. I miss, I might, unless I missed it in the first two moves, but I don't think so. Uh, the mandolin comes in for the closing of the introduction, playing along with um, the, the accordion. Uh, the accordion gets some uh, fantastic high-end sounds, mimicking the solo at that point. At a minute and 46 seconds, we hear the low end of the mandolin, also something you usually don't hear. The mandolin's usually kind of soloing in the middle of the fretboard somewhere. Mm. Um, this movement comes across more as some sort of uh, fantasia, with the phrases in the orchestra played softly, with longish pauses between them. Uh, perhaps the contrast with what comes at around uh, 2 minutes and 40 seconds, high-speed mandolin playing, matched by the stormy orchestra. It's a great interpretation, really fascinating. 
and uh, really had me primed to hear the rest. But we get the uh, the, ne- the next track, the fourth track, is uh, Astor Piazzolla. We jump ahead to the 20th century, and we get his piece, Invierno Porteño, um, which is translated as Winter in Buenos Aires. The, um, the word Porteño is used in Spanish to mean like a port-dwelling person in Argentina. The port would be Buenos Aires, so the translations are always made to be Buenos Aires. Um, um, Porteños are um, people who immigrated to Argentina from Europe, um, and they're kind of um, they're Italian, Spanish, and French, most of them, and they distinguish themselves from the uh, Criollo, who are colonial Spanish and ancestry, uh, mestizos, indigenous people, and mulatos. So there's quite a diversity of people in Argentina. Mm. Okay, Piazzolla's work, I'm guessing here, was originally for the Bandoneon, and Reuven here, um, he heard um, the Ukraine-born composer Leonid Desyatnikov's arrangement of it for the violin, and refashioned, and he re- refashioned the work for the mandolin from the violin, hmm. you, and it was originally for the Bandoneon, you know, you have an accordionist here, <laughs> you figure he could come in. Um, so this uh, has a slow tango feel to it. This um, this piece. There's something a bit heavy and sad about it, as is pretty uh, typical of the tango. The orchestration has a nice burnish to it. The mandolin comes in, plays its line here, playing some of those low notes again, which are so interesting for the ear. Um, the mandolin gets some solo space in the first minute and disappears as we hear a low accordion. Very atmospheric and, again, interesting timbres from soloists as well as ensemble in this arrangement. We hear a lot of repeated note figuration from the mandolin. I love the way the pizzicato bass registers in the fifth minute as the mandolin solos up front with double stops and repeated notes. I guess you can call them double stops on a mandolin. Okay. Um, Excellent recording, as I've mentioned. In the sixth minute, I'm just really amazed by this recording all the way through. I think I kept mentioning it here. In the sixth minute in the mandolin solo, there seems to be a reference to the second movement of the Vivaldi Winter Concerto we just heard. Um, it's brief, and the piece ends quietly. Yeah, when I heard this, this, this was the first of the pieces I heard, and Piazzolla ends all of these with the reference to uh, the Vivaldi Concerto of the same season. Right. Yeah, which made it kind of fun. All right, next we have tracks five to seven is the very famous um, Spring Concerto, E major, from Vivaldi. And the very famous, this starts with the very famous first movement uh, sounding rather less springing in its rhythm than the violin recordings. But once the mandolin comes in, we're in fascinating territory again. And uh, hearing the mandolin with the, um, the other strings are making sort of like it's supposed to be a tone painting of bird sounds. And we've gotten more sophisticated in recent years with bird sounds um, from Messian and people like that. But um, well, there's nobody like Messian. But so these are supposed to be birds. And the mandolin really isn't very bird-like, but uh, <laughs> does quite well to, uh, you know, frolic with the birds here. Okay, It's odd to hear the mandolin timbre, timbre with its plucked kind of texture in this very familiar work. But it's very enjoyable. Uh, the very fast figuration beginning at a minute and 50 seconds in the mandolin comes off impressively, as it does throughout this album. Again, every note ringing clearly at high speed. Uh, gorgeous playing all the way through by Reuven. Okay, second movement, Largo, Pianissimo Sempre. This um, 
is another tone painting of a man sleeping on a hammock while his dog, which is the uh, barking cello notes, um, is barking. That's, that's the sound of him barking. The mandolin line is his dream. So he's kind of snoozing and the mandolin line is sort of like the drifting, his drifting thoughts as he dreams. Um, it's very sparse and requires legato of the violin to put across, but it's well shaped here. Remember, the mandolin doesn't have a very, very much ability to play legato. The uh, decay is very, very fast. Uh, but uh, um, Reuven shapes the uh, melody very well. Despite all the space between the quickly decaying notes, we follow the line easily. It's beautifully shaped. The accordion comes in for the second round of the man's dream melody. It's very quiet, and I like the atmosphere it sets. This is a really special um, setting or, you know, sort of arrangement of this movement. Well worth hearing. Third movement, Allegro, is the uh, another famous movement, the pastoral dance for spring. Uh, the pastoral um, quality of it is indicated by the droning bass, and it, so it's got this kind of countryside kind of sound. Droning bass is usually like a, a sort of bagpipe called a musette, is a lot lighter than the bagpipe uh, of Scotland. It's, it's softer. The mandolin accompanies the opening, and its plucking sound is clearly discernible in the texture. Um, he plays triplets. They absolutely dance along to the ensemble. The uh, rhythmic profile is really in relief. It sounds, you, you know, you have no doubt what, uh, you know, what sort of no values you're hearing or what um, the, the key signature is. This is a bit slow. But it still captivates. Everything is beautifully articulated, including the rhythmic figures. The accordion comes in at about two minutes, and it trades lines with the mandolin, uh, beguiling for the ear. These two, the way they kind of interlace their lines, too, you can tell they've been playing with each other for a long time. Um, the arrangements are inventive. The orchestration, speeds, and profile, uh, given the rhythm, all highlight the picturesqueness of the music and add to the rustic feel. Again, total thumbs up here. All right, so we get to Piazzolla's Primavera Porteña, Spring in Buenos Aires. Um, this starts with a solo violin, <laughs> which was a real surprise, um, too, because we were expecting the mandolin, of course. Uh, other strings enter and play in polyphony. Uh, the mandolin emphatically enters at about the 32nd mark and takes the opening violin's line. He plays with quite a bit of passion, put across by his bold, strong attack. Again, something else you don't really associate with the mandolin. Uh, the section changes at a, um, a minute... F oh, God, I got the time wrong here. Uh, but it, change it changes uh, to something more wistful, I guess, at a minute and 55, and gentler, and we hear pasteled strings in the orchestra and a gentler attack full of repeated notes by the mandolin. At 3 minutes and 43 seconds, we're back to bold playing in the mandolin as the opening material repeats. The mandolin tone is as full as I've ever heard a mandolin sound, set in contrast to slashing string accompaniment. The piece ends on a strong downward accent and a brief quiet chord. We then hear an almost mechanical playing, <laughs> sort of like a music box I don't mean mechanical in a bad way. I mean like in a music box style of the uh, opening of Vivaldi's first spring movement. Dun, 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 dun. It appears twice and the piece is over. Very charming. All right, we move on. Violent Concerto in G minor by Vivaldi, Summer. Um, we have a tranquilly taken intro with the accordion uh, included in with the strings. Mm. 
Um, the skittering line that then erupts out of the mandolin is another virtuosic feat, clearly articulated at speed. It's interesting to hear the accompaniment with the timbre of the mandolin over it. The solo violin blends in, but the mandolin stands out. After a tutti separating virtuosic episodes, the accordion comes in for some lines. We then go back to a lightly picked mandolin over the stormy string figuration, which I believe represents a summer thunderstorm. I, I used to have a score for this work that I it, it has all the um everything that's being tone painted mm -hmm. is written into the score and I don't have it anymore. So I, <laughs> I can't I guess I can look it up on the internet somewhere, but I didn't try. Anyway, we hear the mandolin and accordion both blended into this stormy figuration. And something about the accordion's presence reminds us of tango and piazzola. It's kind of a really <laughs> odd sort of thing. It, uh, I'm wondering if, that, if that's, uh, that's drawn out intentionally. It's pretty interesting. Another link between these works right there in that rhythm. I like the accordion's arpeggiations with the rising bass. Uh, our with the rising bass arpeggio accompanying. I think the thing that gives me the tango feeling is the presence of the accordion and just that the yeah. the rhythm that just happens to be happening at that time. It really mm -hmm. struck me. This is in the first movement of uh, Summer mm -hmm. by Vivaldi. We get one more virtuosic burst from the mandolin and some accented accordion chords that again remind one of tango. Listen for that. That's at the end of the first movement of Vivaldi's Summer Concerto. Second movement, Adagio and Presto. Very quiet opening with the accordion softly playing the thematic material. The movement is played very softly, but when the accordion comes in and loudly when the strings appear. Okay, it's softly when the accordion comes in, loudly when the strings appear. And this movement is, seems to be arranged for that contrast. It really wants to sort of set that those two things apart. Third movement, Presto, is an aggressive movement featuring fierce string accompaniment with the mandolin adding figuration. The mandolin in its quick articulation almost sounds like a thin-stringed plucked violin at times, especially during the downward movement moving solo part. In the first minute, the mandolin... Uh, that's, uh, that happens in the first minute. The mandolin is playing... The mandolin playing is a constant wow throughout but by now i'm kind of expecting this you kind of get used to even the most amazing things okay and i'm eager to hear how some of the violence part is going to be taken this is one of the charms of this these are such familiar works and you're just wondering how the mandolin is going to really approach this material so it really just keeps you uh listening track 12 is piazzola's um verano porteño summer in buenos aires a heavy tango rhythm with strings and bass opens this piece the mandolin comes in and plays a theme with downward glissandi. Reuven has such presence in his playing that every attack has your ears glued to his line. There are quick changes to the mood of each section from quiet to loud. The mandolin seemingly picks all the way through. There's a pretty violent section after the four-minute mark with a slashing sound, possibly on the mandolin, as the violins slash at the strings. This also ends with a reference to the end of the first movement, of Vivaldi's summer concerto, or is it the third movement? Because they're kind of similar. I couldn't really tell. Anyway, we get to the last of the Vivaldi violin concerti, Autumn. Uh, this starts with a, the first movement starts with a standard string theme. The mandolin plays the melody accompanied by a cello. 
and sounds music box-like with its simultaneous chords. The accordion comes in to take over some melodic duties from the strings. A lot of this movement is taken at a super slow speed. There's even a longish pause at 3 minutes and 38 seconds. A quiet section where the pizzicati violins mark time allows the accordion to breathe out some long, quiet notes, setting an exceptionally tranquil mood. Then the opening string theme bursts in again, and we head to the end of this movement. Second movement, Adagio Molto, and here the mandolin really accompanies by setting up a tremolo effect while the harpsichord plays arpeggiated chords. And the third movement, Allegro, is the hunting theme, dun 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 dun, dun pretty famous, um, has the mandolin peeking out of the texture, it's played by the strings, uh, taken at a leisurely and unaggressive pace. The mandolin plays all of the double-stopped lines, and for the second verse, the accordion joins in, and the piece is transformed into a country dance, and maybe even a Middle Eastern one, because <laughs> these sounds kind of take me out of you know the, the Italian countryside. Um, there's a section afterwards where the accordion and mandolin play a quick monophonic theme. Uh, Reuven shows off his fleet fingerwork in the next solo section, very satisfying, and we bid... Uh, a deal to Vivaldi for this recording. But there's still one more track, Piazzolla's Otoño Porteño, Autumn in Buenos Aires. This has some percussive effects and a tango melody. The mandolin plays the twisting melody that emerges first. There are aggressive syncopation created by striking something. I couldn't really tell what it was. Um, a cello gets a solo in the first minute, mm. The cello solo is curvy and sultry and suggestive with a come-hither feel to it. It eventually invites the orchestra back in and continues as, a double, as the double bass marks time and other strings provide tapestry. The cello gets a lot of time in this piece. By uh, you know, It's surprising considering mm-hmm. that this is really... Um, but that's the... Um, the, the cellist here is, um, is uh, Moritz Klauk, um, and he's, um, he, I guess he's getting his, his chance to shine here. He's, he's kind of continual, but he's also the other soloist. By the 3 minute and 20 second mark, we get back to the opening theme with the mandolin in the mix. Uh, this section ends and the mandolin gets a solo by himself without any uh, accompaniment. Um, the resonance and wiry sound of his instrument is very clear here. He manages a lot of shadings of sound so that his playing is always beguiling to the ear. There's a little tenderness from 4 minutes and 50 seconds until the orchestra quietly comes back at the 5 minute mark, leaving misty sustained chords for the mandolin to express itself over. After this, there's a gradual crescendo as the mandolin plays a tremolo. We're back to wilder playing on the mandolin, a percussive sound like a block being hit is heard, and ends the piece with emphasis. You get a real sense of the fun that uh, Rufus and Welber are having uh, performing these works on this album. I'd also like to indicate that one thing that makes this album so enjoyable is the constant surprising and interweaving of mandolin and accordion. The accordion, of course, associated with Piazzolla or the bandoneon, but it's a, it's a mand- it's an accordion-like instrument. It has buttons instead of keys, uh, which matches the uh, Piazzolla piece's association with Vivaldi. Um, the accordion also appears in movements before the uh, Piazzolla works to prepare the musical palette for them. There's a lot of, on this album, the, the whole big 
program. Um, there's a lot of anticipating and preloading of what's coming next. And I found this very intellectually appealing as well. For example, we surprisingly in the opening um, winter um, concerto by Vivaldi, in the third movement, we hear the accordion. And it's an instrument we associate, it's a sound anyway, we associate with uh, Piazzolla, and then we're going to hear the Piazzolla work uh, next. So there's a lot of that sort of thing, and an anticipation of what's coming next. Um, it's a well-thought-out performance and program on top of being beautifully played by the two soloists and virtuosically played as well. You couldn't ask for a better recording either. Uh, I'll give a shout-out to the engineer, Justice Beyer, and the producer, Luger Birkenhoff. Uh, fantastic must hear um, sadly you can't stream it you can sample it on the Hyperion site I would urge you to buy this uh, though and hear it though especially if you like uh, the Four Seasons by Vivaldi because this is really something it goes right to the top of my I, well maybe not the top but it goes on the year end list it's, it's going to have to be there it's so good <laughs> yeah I enjoyed this one a lot it'll make you think about Vivaldi in a whole new way I had it on and um Everyone knows this music, and my wife was walking into the room, and she's like, wait, <laughs> she said, is that a mandolin? <laughs> it does, I said, it does yeah, do it is, yeah. And yeah. Uh, so it makes you think about it uh, completely you know, in a new way. And uh, But I also found, you know, the, the man, as you said, Vivaldi had mandolin pieces too, and it's interesting to hear the mandolin taking the viol, you know, the violin's role, and he's coming up with different techniques to handle the sustain and things. But the character of the accordion really transforms the Vivaldi yeah. into a different sort of dimension. Really, And I enjoyed yeah. that a lot. Uh, and then I like how the Piazzolla is interspersed. And so you, you get, a, rather than going right through the four seasons, which would be, you know, the way I've listened to it uh, before, you have that kind of interlude into the modern era. And the Piazzolla pieces are interesting uh, in and of themselves. And as you say, that way that they're sort of... Uh, interlocked and give mm -hmm. a little sort of preview is, uh, right. you know, quite uh, charming and intelligently done in terms of programming. And uh, it all works really well. The playing, uh, he's really shredding on the mandolin there. <laughs> really That's is. all the parts. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah, high-speed stuff. Uh, very exciting. Uh, I like the sound of this kind of, um, I guess he sort of made a customized orchestra out of members of that group for it, reading the notes. Right, the Gavant so it's, House. It's very tight yeah. and uh, kind of dynamic. And uh, as we keep saying, the sound quality is awesome. It's just a lot of fun and very exciting. So I think uh, there's almost no one who wouldn't like this and uh, kind of find it unique if you even have a passing interest in classical music. Right. I want to say something, by the way, about virtuosity that I sort of sort of came to mind while I was listening to this album. Uh, virtuosity has this real wow quality to it, especially if you can see someone doing it because you can't believe someone's hands can move this fast and stuff. But there's some, one thing I noticed is there's something uplifting about virtuosity. It's sort of just, I think it has a way of focusing the mind because you're so stunned by what you're hearing usually that you're kind of like all your all the clouds kind of part and you're just sort of in this really good space when you hear someone playing an instrument with that, with this kind of virtuosity. Now I think um, as classical music listeners, um, you have someone like me who's been listening to classical music all his life. You hear this um, top ranked pianist playing like a piece by Liszt and it's, or some other like super virtuosic piece. And you just kind of don't think of it as, you know, special because you've heard it a million times before, even though like most people can't do it, <laughs> you know, mm. but um, 
the I think it was the the freshness kind of brought me back to that realization when you're really in the in you, when you're hearing virtuosity, it's almost automatically uplifting. It's 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 something from because it's just like this high level of human achievement, and um, so it's it's I just thought it was really special. So anyway, mm. give that a listen. Anyway, onwards to the second um, recording we have in the classical choices tonight. Another excellent recording. This one is um, Debussy and Yves Balmer, or Balmer, I guess it would be if he's French. Because he's French. Um, uh, Poétique de l'instant, volume one. There are apparently going to be more of these. Mm. Okay. It doesn't say that on the cover, but it says it in the booklet note inside. Um, this is by uh, Quatuor Vo, I guess, Vos, V-O-C-E, Voce in Italian, but I'm guessing French it would be Vos. Mm. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a French word. Yeah. Um, they're, they're the main sort of ensemble on this album. And I have to say, I've discovered a new... Uh, string quartet that I really want to go back into the back catalog and hear a bit more of. So I kind of looked them up. They've done a few recordings and they seem like a, an adventurous lot. They kind of, I think in the book notes, uh, they mentioned the Kronos Quartet as being uh, an ensemble they looked up to. And of course, the Kronos Quartet from America, the United States, is very adventurous in their repertoire. So um, the, uh, and these guys are to an extent. I mean, they're playing things that are in the, uh, in the repertoire, but, um, We'll see what happens with them in the future. Anyway, we do get a new work here, too. Um, there are a few other um, soloists on this uh, record. Um, I will mention them as they come up. Um, the Vos, the Quatuor Vos, uh, consists of, um, uh, let's see, Sarah Diane, first violin. Actually, they sw- they swap. It's, she's on uh, the in the Debussy uh, string quartet. Cecile Rubin, who is first violin for... Everything except the Debussy String Quartet. Um, Guillaume Becker, uh, viola, and uh, Lydia Shelley on the cello. And there are other artists on this album, too. This is on the Alpha label, the French label. Um, one, and one of the, the better record labels out there. They're, they're, they're a label that I kind of check out every month to see what they're putting out this month. All right, so we start this out with um, Debussy's String Quartet in G minor. Opus 10, it's a fairly early work from the uh, late 19th century, I think. I should have made, I should have written the year down. Or is it? Maybe it's the 19th, I don't remember. Anyway, <laughs> um, I think it was about the same time as uh, Prelude de l'Apremedie d'Enfant, so that would be like around 1895 or so. Anyway, around the turn of the century. First movement, anime et redécidé. This is... Um, uh, the first thing that strikes me about this is the full sound. This is another recording that has fantastic, uh, it's a fantastic recording. Although I'm going to have a few things to say about balances, but we'll get to that. Not, not in this work, though. Um, this um, recording captures the warmth of the playing and all of its detail. Um, the recording is a bit um, dry, but I think that helps the performance especially in more muted sections, it seems like there's no room noise at all. Like they're playing against this blackness, like they're in the vacuum of outer space and they're making these <laughs> sounds somehow. You know, It's a pretty miraculous sounding recording. Um, the performance itself is well shaped with melodic lines flowing and also carefully separated from each other. Like somehow the way they sort of end their lines and start the new ones kind of marks the ending of phrases for the listener like they're really almost handing that to you um i like the 
uh, textural changes the quartet give the work between phrases. Um, towards the end, we get muted phrases that register well. At 4 minutes and 50 seconds, you can hear how deliberately this movement was planned out. It's very careful, but not so that the piece's forward movement is altered. I like the way the rhythm registers at 5 minutes and 30 seconds in the cello. The ending phrase is beautifully shaped, if not as thrilling as it could be. Yeah, usually there's a big rush to the end on this in this movement and here it's kind of more sort of carefully taken so it's it doesn't have it doesn't give you that sort of like chill that you often get hearing this work one thing that i love about this ensemble is the way they'll highlight rhythm and when i what i mean by that is they won't like for example if something is like in three four time and it's a waltz they'll make it sound like a waltz they just won't play the they won't just play the three beats, you know. What I mean, they'll kind of mm -hmm. give it the the character of whatever dance it happens to be. I'll point that out. The times I've heard it, you know, coming up in this because it happens a few times. Uh, in Debussy's works, he he tends to do this fleetingly and then go on to the next part. But it's pretty uh, it's pretty exciting. It's like you're getting a little glimpse into something you didn't realize was there. Anyway, the second movement, assez vif et bien rythmé. The pizzicati at the opening have real presence. Um, detail is all clearly performed and captured by the recording. Uh, the pizzicati are strongly taken by the first uh, violin. It sounds like someone's making popcorn. That's what pizzicati always <laughs> sound like to me somehow. No bad thing, really. Uh, the melody is there. I think the accompaniment... Um, listen to the pizzicati and the cello at 2 minutes and 20 seconds and afterward. It's more vividly taken than the upper bowed voices, which are nevertheless also very satisfying. Um, this is a very musical rather than dramatic movement. Okay, I liked the the flow that it put across. Okay, the um, wonderful third movement, Andantino, doucement expressif. This is a uh, the slow movement. Um, the I this is my favorite movement of the whole work. Really, <laughs> just uh, if anyone wants to fast forward to that. The whole, it's a great work, though, in general. The opening section is taken gently and mutedly, again, with careful shaping of the melodies, um, perfectly judged tempo, as has been the case throughout. Um, the middle section, um, this is where the real excitement for me begins, at two, it begins at 2 minutes and 54 seconds. I love the chord at 3 minutes and 50 seconds with its open fifths, and it's rather underplayed here. I kind of like that to come out a little more. But again, this is all in keeping with their... Their vision, the Equator Vos's um, vision of the long line of the movement as opposed to highlighting local, you know, interesting things. I'd say this entire performance is understated, going more for the long line, as I just said, rather than accenting local detail. The huge build-up to the crescendo that ends at 4 minutes and 40 seconds is rich in detail, as is the climax. Uh, the lower voices are given more prominence than usual, and I think that and the slightly fast speed prevents the climax from having the impact that it could have. But still, musically spe speaking, this is a very satisfying performance, uh, providing a good overview of the shape of the movement. Um, it remains a bit fast throughout, okay, this movement, okay? I think when you take a tempo in classical music that's a little too fast, it sort of masks the emotion. It, it kind of you're getting more into the, the more intellectual part, the um, the shaping of the lines and the the longer line, and I think that sort of happens here. The fourth movement, très modéré. The in intro is taken as quietly 
at the end of the as the end of the previous movement so it kind of links that way then finally gets momentum at about a minute and 15 seconds still quietly played but crescendoing to the descending chaos at a minute and 38 seconds at a minute and 50 seconds we get the main theme for the rest of the movement uh, a lot of elements often buried in the harmony are played up in this performance uh, this movement is rather mercurial in the way it quickly leaves certain themes off to chase after others a technique Debussy would make his own as his career went on, and we're going to actually hear that in the next piece. The forte at 4 minutes and 18 seconds registers fully and quickly diminishes. I notice this performance pays particular detail to rhythm, making it stand out so that the melodic material has something driving it when that opportunity arises. A really gorgeous detail leading up to the final cadence, too. So this is a richly detailed performance emphasizing harmony, rhythm, and the long formal line of each movement over drama. It winds up being a deeply satisfying performance, though some of your favorite details might not register fully. By the way, if you want to hear those favorite details, I recommend the the recording by the Quatuor Eben. They also have the um, Ravel and Faure string quartets on it. It's a, it's a special recording from you know, many years back now, probably the 2000, 2000s or to that early 2010s. I don't remember. Mm. Anyway, great one. This, this is followed rather surprisingly by the Sonata for flute, viola, and harp. Uh, um, this is one of the last three works that Debussy wrote. He was working on a, a series of six chamber pieces, and he only completed three of them. And this really kills me because I love these three works mm. so much and I really wish I could have heard the other three that he died before he could write. I, they're, they're so surprising and so inventive that I, and they're so interesting timbrally that uh, it's, it really seems to me a great loss. But I guess I should be positive because we have these three. Um, so Sonata, the, this was the middle one, the Sonata for Flute, Viola, and Harp. Now, the violist is from the uh, that's um, um, Guillaume Becker. And uh, the flute is played by Juliette Urel and the harp by Emmanuel Cesson, who's apparently associated with the Vos because he appears on, they appear on one of his albums from a few years back. Okay. This is a beautiful piece. Think about that. Flute, viola, mm. and harp. First of all, the flute and harp together are gorgeous. French composers, and especially Debussy, seem to write for these instruments um, more effectively than anyone else. They really bring out a special character of them. And this piece also includes the viola, which has sort of a, it's like a, it's a larger violin, right? But it's got a darker sound to it. And uh, it's a little more throaty, but it's higher than a cello. And it just makes for some really interesting timbres mm. in this work. The first movement, Pastoral, Lento, Dolce, Rubato. Um, the harp is, uh, starts it off, and what a fantastic full sound it gets. Beautiful recording, um, really all around. Um, each instrument gets its own space in the sound field um, on this recording. The delicate opening registers beautifully. The tempo is on the slower side to make sure you have time to lick up all the gorgeous timbres that you're hearing and all their fantastic harmony as well. A new section starts at 2 minutes and 20 seconds with the violin figure. And this uh, section dances a bit more. At 3 minutes and 30 seconds, we're on to something more somber and reminiscent of the opening. And we get a repeat of the opening material with some subtle variations in phrasing and harmony. 
all is sumptuously and sensuously played with a languorous voluptuousness in the sound. Fantastic movement. Second movement, interlude, tempo di minuetto. The attacks in this movement from the instruments are very gentle, and it follows the first movement in being started at a slightly slow tempo to allow its voluptuousness to blossom. By a minute and 17 seconds, it picks up a bit of speed with no loss of timbral beauty. The cascading faint harp arpeggios at 2 minutes and 30 seconds are incredibly vivid, despite being so quiet. As with the string quartet, rhythm is accented, and we pick up some passing propulsive detail in the viola in the third minute that quickly fades. I was happy this was pointed out in the performance. Gorgeous harp sound on the main melody at 3 minutes and 45 seconds, and listen to how the faint harpless sound of those from 4 minutes and 15 seconds register under the main material. Ah, oh, gorgeous. This, is, this, might, this might very well be my go-to um, performance of this work. Although there was there was a really good one a few years ago. Anyway, third movement, final, allegro moderato ma risoluto. This is not as gentle as the other movements, starting with an aggressive ostinato on the harp. It comes in pretty loudly, and I've got the volume boosted a bit, I should mention. Listen to the harp briefly set a driving rhythm from 50 seconds to one minute. The material from one minute and 50 seconds comes across like a march with a 1-5 in the harp marking time. Again, this is a detail I hadn't noticed before. Um, they, the, the ensemble draws out the march-like quality of this section rather than just playing the 1-5, the, the tonic dominant or the, of the, in the, uh, in the uh, bass. Again, from 3 minutes and 25 seconds, we get a strongly realized rhythmic underpinning the material, and it goes away by 3 minutes and 55 seconds, and we get the bright-sounding rush to the end. I thought this was stunning. A performance that does a lot to draw out the fleeting nature of the melodic material. I especially noticed this when the piece took on a strong rhythm that suddenly stopped it. Gorgeous recorded, sumptuous tone from the players. This is a performance to wrap yourself up in. Unmissable, really. If you don't know the work, hear this. Mm. Okay, tracks 8 through 10 are a new work by a young composer by the name of Yves Balmer. Yves, Y-V-E-S, Balmer, B-A-L-M-E-R. He was born in 1978. And this um, work called The Fragment Soulevé par le Vent um, is um, composed for this recording specifically. Um, and he's taking his title... Um, fragments um i guess lifted by the wind um it comes from a poet uh, a title from the poem by philippe jacotet which i haven't read um he tries to capture some of the volatile sensations of the wind as it blows its fluidity and fragility and yeah we do get a sense of that this work to be honest kind of the sound the way it sounds kind of reminded me a bit of um henri de Toulouse work um Ainsi la nuit, which we actually talked about, I think, last November. Um, it's on a record mm. by the Cartoir Eben, who I mentioned before, called Round Midnight, paired with um, Schoenberg's um, Verklärte Nacht for a string sextet. Okay, let's uh, hear this new work. Uh, the first movement, Vif et très fluide. This starts out with some intriguing harmonics in the first uh, violin, I guess. Uh, it's the highest violin. The highly sensitive recording picks up every subtlety the ensemble produces, and that's really necessary for this work. It really is very subtle. The material does have a kind of windy quality to it. Uh, it's continuous glissando-laden at 
and the melodies are really, if you can call them melodies, the sounds are really stretched out. It's a movement that, in the French style, allows timbre to carry its meaning. We hear all sorts of string effects, harmonics, pizzicati, sul ponticello playing, all of it maintaining interest. The recording does this work enormous favors. Um, the background silence it's recording against is unworldly. There's no room noises at all, as I mentioned earlier. And not even chair creaks. It's, it's like they're floating in space, like I said, <laughs> somehow, producing this sound. It ends similarly to Debussy's quartet, which it was inspired by. The second movement is uh, labeled volatile. That's uh, close to English volatile. Uh, like uh, Debussy's quartet, this movement starts with lots of pizzicati, sounding like someone making popcorn. I like that metaphor, I guess. <laughs> it's very quiet and gossamer thick harmonic tones. Gossamer thin, sorry. Harmonic tones are produced. The pizzicati are back in the second minute, and it's a popcorn fest. It kind of sounded like uh, there were loads of people in a building making popcorn in many rooms. <laughs> some of them far away, some of them close. Uh, given the varieties of attack used, some are loud, some are soft and far off sounding. There's a pretty wild-sounding ensemble glissando that ends the movement and probably gives the work uh, volatile its title marking. Uh, the, what, what's Okay, I'll get to this in a minute. Okay, third movement, Très calme, sobre et fragile. Starts with harmonics, sustained and crystalline, as a lone tone emanates from the ensemble, possibly from the viola. It sounds kind of like uh, it's got that sort of darker quality to it. It could be a cello, though. The texture subtly changes and turns over so that the other players get to play bowed, non-harmonic material. There's a pretty cool ensemble roller coaster-like glissando at around uh, 2 minutes and 20 seconds that fades to silence and brings back the crystalline accompaniment and emanating tone quality of the beginning. Each of these movements is pretty short. They're all under four minutes. This is an atmospheric work. It's pretty satisfying. Not a terribly pleasant work like you're not going to kind of relax after a long day of work to this <laughs> but I was pretty taken by the sounds of the quartet in fact I would say that the thing that really puts this um, piece across are the the quartet's absolute um, uh, you know dedication to it and in astonishing playing really their extreme attention to detail and the, the gorgeous recording uh, this is if, if you don't like it I mean you're never going to hear this um, better played or recorded than this. And I rather I rather enjoyed it, I'd say. I liked it. Okay. The album ends the last four tracks with Debussy again, his prose lyrique. Uh, these are for voice and piano, but here they're arranged by uh, Yves Balmer, the um, composer of the previous work, um, for um, voice and string quartet. And the poems are all by Debussy himself. <laughs> and they're actually not bad, actually. i got to say, he's, he, he had quite the uh, poetic streak in him. The first one called uh, Der Rêve, of a dream. Uh, the soprano on this recording is uh, Jodie DeVos. And we've uh, heard her before. We talked about her in the yellow sweater. She of the yellow mm -hmm. sweater of last yeah. year's um, <laughs> <Turtle> next, <yeah. laughs> uh, recording. That was her. I like this voice a lot. Um and um, her to me though here it, it's an appealing voice the quartet is great but somehow in this work her voice doesn't fit in with the 
sound that the quartet's making. Uh, the balance also favors the quartet, so when she has quieter passages, uh, she gets slightly covered up by them. Now, I'm thinking that um, the ensemble or the engineer or Balmer himself who made the arrangement are thinking that the voice is just another, the vocal is just another voice in the um, the piece. Um, but I, th this is just my personal aesthetic. I never agree with this. I think if there are words being sung, those words need to be heard because they're the most important part. They have meaning that people can understand whereas music is going to have meaning as it plays out instrumental you have to hear where it goes first you know but actually each individual word has a meaning right now people can argue back at me like each individual note has a meaning yeah but not in the same way <laughs> it depends if you're really relying on the timbre then yeah each individual note has a meaning too anyway i like the interweaving lines of the string quartet has in the accompaniment but I wasn't happy about DeVos's voice being slightly um, obscured by, especially when she gets into her middle range and she's in the same range that the quartet's playing and she kind of sort of disappears between the leaves, as it were, or the branches. <laughs> you can't really make out every word she says. Um, the poem set, the poem itself is gorgeous and evocative of the past in the magical way French music and poetry has, as though the past is still with us invisibly playing out as we live our modern lives. I really do like that quality. The Debussy and people in this um, generation were really interested in r the ruins of the past, you know, like walking around in the, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the Colosseum or the uh, Forum in ancient mm -hmm. Rome, that sort of thing, you know, these worlds that have, and civilizations that have passed that have passed and uh their their remains are still with us anyway next movement uh de greve on the strand um this poem by debussy depicts waves over a beach and it uses a metaphor of schoolgirls having their frilly skirts blown to depict the waves <laughs> during a storm then all comes later the moon caresses the waves. Boy, this is a really erotic poem, though. He's not really talking. He's using the girls as a metaphor for what happens on the uh, on the beach here. Uh, the moon caresses the waves, and they offer themselves in a way that Ooh. I don't think schoolgirls would. But anyway, <laughs> that's, that's the uh, erotic nature of this poem. Anyway, the arrangement for string quartet is compelling throughout, especially the wavering figuration at the end. And DeVos is great throughout this work. At the beginning, I thought her timbre was ideal, way above the string quartet. But again, when she gets into her lower range, her tone matches the instruments too much, and she blends in, and the vocal line gets blurred with the uh, the quartet's lines. Uh, this is the arrangement's doing, I would say. And also, the um, in the mix, or in the um, the miking, the, uh, the quartet is placed more up front than it probably should be. But I think they've balanced this so that, again, the detail that we got in all the previous tracks comes through. I doubt a piano accompaniment would have the same effect. I do love her vocal timbre, though. Third movement, or third song, De Fleurs, Flowers, of Flowers. The orchestration here is a bit reminiscent of the string quartet we heard above, um, meaning Balmer's string quartet. Um, again, in her quieter, lower-range moments, DeVos's voice gets lost in the quartet thicket. Um, they're clearly recorded further forward than her. And you could argue that the vocal is just another voice in the harmony. I've mentioned before, I don't agree. Um, the poem here is a bit overwrought by Debussy. His uh, 
he's saying that his imagination is a hothouse whose flowers are all dying from too little sun and his soul is dying from too much sun uh the flowers in this poem are nasty <laughs> the fourth song de soir and i liked this setting a lot and the orchestration as well um the particular song works well because of the soprano is always in her mid to upper range the gentle middle section worked particularly well with its interlacing voices so um this is a really sumptuous um setting for the string quartet of these songs but i didn't think these worked well with this particular voice and prefer the original piano settings that's just my personal opinion i think they're certainly worth hearing and i love jody devos's voice that said this is the album i'll definitely return to the recording is spectacular throughout as is the balance in all but the songs um the balmer work appealed to me though it had me thinking of due to use string quartet as i mentioned which shares a lot of its textures a good way to discover these works and hear something new is on this album so this is a good uh introduction to these wc works um great sound this is going to just caress your ears <laughs> well i really enjoyed <laughs> the string quartet you know normally in chamber music i'll prefer to listen to uh, piano trios because I like the variety of timbres, uh, getting right. the piano in there. Only strings, sometimes I get a little bit bored. Not here, because uh, Debussy is able to bring out all kinds of varied timbres with the different techniques, You know, especially mm -hmm. uh, when you get into that wonderful pizzicato stuff in the second movement, and um, you know, then the different quality in the third movement. So there's lots of variety in sound color, uh, and the performance was really exciting. Uh, so I was, you know, about as enamored from just a string quartet uh, tone that I could be with this piece. And then you don't even, you know, need to try that hard uh, for the uh, flute, viola, and harp because the tones are just gorgeous. Uh, it's a mix yeah. of, you know, beautiful sounds and the performance is really flowing. So those two works I really enjoyed. The bomber, I'm not as enthusiastic as you. It was interesting, I it. but I probably won't listen yeah. to it again. And I'm not a, a huge fan of uh, Debussy's vocal works. So, yeah, it was okay for me. But uh, the uh, first two works, the uh, quartet and then the uh, flute, viola, and harp, I'm uh, really enthusiastic about on this one. All right. And finally, for classical music, what do you who do you what do you think of when I say the name John Williams? Bum, bum, Boy, bum, bum, bum. yeah, I hear all kinds of themes bouncing out of my memory. And the main theme you think about is Star Wars, yeah, right? Because uh, he's so you know he really made his himself a household name with those scores. And this is the John Williams, the composer, not John Williams, the guitarist, the Australian guitarist. He's a different person altogether. Okay, well, it turns out that John Williams, sort of like uh, um, Eric Wolfgang Korngold back in the 1930s, um, was is you know does a lot of serious um, orchestral works um, himself, um, and not just film scores. He's best known for his film scores, like Korngold. He's sort of a modern, I guess you could say, Eric Wolfgang Korngold. I guess um, best known for his um, scores for a lot of Spielberg um, uh, films. By the way. This gives me an opportunity to mention something. I don't know how many people have ever seen the movie Born Free about the the uh, the lions. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, John Williams wrote the theme music for that. That was, I think, that might have been his first film oh, score. Wow. And I'd like to mention Born Free goes. How does it go? 
born free. Free as the wind blows. Dun, 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 dun. And how does Star Wars go? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. It's the born free theme upside down. <laughs> yeah. we've, we've, we're on to you, John Williams. <laughs> anyway. Recycling. Well, it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta produce when you're in the movies. Okay. Anyway, but anyway, um, today I want to talk about his, um, album on Deutsche Grammophon Records. This is his violin concerto number two and selected film themes. Um, and the key, the key work here, of course, is the violin concerto number two. This is performed by Anne-Sophie Mutter, one of the world's great violinists. Um, and the Boston Symphony Orchestra conducted by John Williams himself. So a new work, and um, one that's going to be a little more complex than his uh, film themes. Um, let's talk about this. Okay. Um, William says the concerto, it was written for Anne-Sophie Mutter, and he says the concerto is actually about her and mm. the violin itself. How flattering. Wow. <laughs> you know? Anyway, in other words, he's kind of he was listening to her playing, and um, he wanted to bring out certain qualities that he really enjoys about her playing, which is, I guess, a nice thing to do. Anyway, the prologue, there's a, there's a note here in the booklet where he, where Williams explains what he's after. Um, he says it opens with a quasi improvisation that suggests Anne Sophie's evident affinity for jazz, which Williams noticed when she recorded the theme from Cinderella Liberty on a collaboration they did. Um, much faster music, Follows, which Williams wrote when recalling Anne Sophie's particularly flair for an infectious rhythmic swagger. Um, this work starts gently with warm, quiet strings droning and a ruminative harp. And uh, jazz is not something I'd associate this music with <laughs> at all. There's nothing. I think what he means when he said that is the improvisatory quality. But again, right. jazz is the only kind of music where there's improvisation. But anyway. There is some string harmony smears intruding on the harp's material, and the violin enters at uh, a minute and 21 seconds with a throaty sound that's reminiscent of awakening in the morning. <laughs> I kind of thought, <laughs> you know, that kind of <laughs> stretching sound. And it's really something, it's got real presence. When you hear it, for, for two reasons. First of all, because that Sophie Mutter has like tremendous presence that she can really put across the violin sound strongly. The second reason is because this this is another amazing recording. We've had th um, three out of three tonight. Um, it's just so fully dimensional and just captures so much depth um, of the sound. It's it's really rather astonishing. Um, let me see. Um, so the violin um, grows in energy. There's lots of presence in the sound. Um, the rhythmic builds in momentum at the two minute and thirty seconds second mark or so there's a whip crack and a bass drum at two minutes and 40 seconds that changes the sound profile and it's probably going to make you jump <laughs> you see yeah. so vivid is it man it's mm. it's an amazing recording it's like it was in the room with me um the piece gets agitated um again with the violin gaining in virtuosity and as we've come to expect from williams the scoring is sumptuous warm and generous with a lot of timbres adding up to the overall effect. At 4 minutes and 18 seconds, the relatively gentle bass drum registers with added dimension through the speakers. A new section begins afterwards. I guess the, the bass drum indicates like new sections or something. It seems to come up 
when that happens. Um, it finds the violin in its middle range, the new section, gaining momentum and leaping into a higher range. There's some really beautiful timbral changes in the sixth minute where the violin gives way to the orchestral sounds on occasion. At six, six minutes and 44 seconds, the violin softens and plays with only occasional arpeggiated harp accompaniment. At seven minutes, we get a cadenza, but it's more tone and melody oriented than virtuosic. Though it's got some impressive passages in it along the way. I'm pretty amazed at how clearly the recording picks up changes in Mutter's bowing. Um, we can almost tell which way the bow is moving from the <laughs> recording. It's so clear. Uh, impressive. It's impressive. And the bass drum comes back for some impact into my house from the speakers at 8 minutes and 45 seconds. Some pretty aggressive orchestral music occurs at 10 minutes, which after which we get a gentle harp arpeggio and an unwinding violin melody, which rushes to a high note, then a held low note to end the movement. The second movement rounds, and I um, posted the um, uh, performance of this on uh, our Facebook page, so you can actually see them play this. Um, it starts with a quiet murmur. Oh, this is, okay, let me just read um, John Williams' notes about this. He says, a quiet murmur is created by a gentle motion that uh, Williams thinks is circular, and so he calls the subtitle round, so it's not a rondo, it's just the, the circling mm symbol there um at one point you will hear harmonies reminiscent of Debussy but Williams wants you to reflect on Claude Thornhill an earlier hero of his who was the musical godfather of the Gil Evans Miles Davis collaboration hmm. um anyway what Williams is talking about is a sort of a circling wavering in the haze a wavering in the haze quality of sound from the winds at the beginning of the movement. That's where the rounds title comes from. The violin enters quietly and plays without vibrato in the opening moments. It goes from this kind of anemic sound to full-bodied in the first minute, at which point it's uh, playing beautifully over shimmering orchestration. We reach a more solid rhythm by a minute and 45 seconds, which the violin also outlines in its figuration. In the second minute, there's a crescendo, then decrescendo, driven by the violin's figuration, with some gorgeous orchestral details. Then the violin plays out almost solo and with emotion. The violin's solo section ends and the orchestra starts some low-end crescendoing chords as the violin muses in between buildups of volume. There's a nighttime quality to the music in the sixth minute, the violin full-toned and the orchestra hushed. Sections seem to come and go, in this movement as if setting the soloist in a different setting to see what she'll do. At 7 minutes and 30 seconds, there's some familiar orchestration that's reminiscent of Williams' film scores, and the music quietens for the end. The third movement is called dactyls. It's a Greek word um, that describes the three-syllable effect in poetry. Um, I guess... Uh, da -da 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 with, I, I don't know, actually. I should have looked that up. Anyway dactyl threes as well as the finger with its three bones um and the the movement is in triple meter and features a short cadenza for violin harp and timpani another triad uh, the violin's aggressive virtuosity produces a rough waltz-like energy that is both bawdy and impertinent according to williams anyway this movement starts with metallic chimes from the orchestra the violin plays a more jagged double stopped theme the orchestra's sound is hard and percussive, 
This whole movement contrasts with what we've heard. No curves here at all. There's some pounding percussion and a lot of impact from the bass in the second minute. The violin gets a rugged cadenza from the end of the third minute. By 4 minutes and 30 seconds, the orchestra has come back in with more metallic percussion and low-end instruments. There's a huge crescendo that crashes to a stop just after 5 minutes and leaves the violin playing double-stop material, which diminishes into a quickly repeated note. Featuring some excellent bow technique from Mutter, in fact. Uh, the harp imitates this, and this leads directly into the fourth movement, um, which um, Williams describes as the harp and the uh, violin reversing their relative balances in a kind of sound dissolve uh, that transports us to the epilogue. A motif from the rounds movement returns in the form of a duet for violin and harp, closing the piece with a gentle resolution in A major that might suggest both healing and renewal. Okay, so the opening here is quiet and spacey, featuring swooping tones from the violin, crescendoing and resolving downward. We get a rising figure in the basses and cellos at a minute and five seconds. The violin solos quietly over this. Big crescendo up to three minutes that suddenly stops and results in quiet harp chords that the violin plays passionately over. The violin continues in this passionate vein over some highly percussive and explosive orchestral figuration. Then in five minutes, we hear the violin quietly accompanied by the harp. The music is pretty quiet by 6 minutes and 43 seconds as the violin quietly laments over a droning bass note. The movement ends on a quietly taken high note by Mutter, who does a natural fade with the orchestra. So it's a highly listenable piece, as we would expect from John Williams. Also full of incident and some surprising approaches from Williams. This goes beyond his film score writing harmonically and informally, as it should, but it's still inviting enough to win ears easily. It holds together well. Mutu's presence on it is by itself enough to want me to hear it. Uh, she brings enormous presence to the violin part, as well as her usual virtuosity and sensitivity. Now, this piece didn't really stick in my ear, but it was enjoyable while I was listening to it. I may have to uh, revisit it. I liked it enough. The last three uh, tracks are selected film themes and their new arrangements for Anne-Sophie Mutter. Uh, the first one, track five, is called Theme from the Long Goodbye. Um, after the concerto, it's time for some dessert, and we've got three courses here. This one comes with warm strings playing the theme. Uh, Mutter comes in and plays the theme on the violin, accompanied only by strings. And this is the sort of big-boned orchestral score you'd expect from Williams. And by the third minute, it's in full flight orchestrally with the violin taking the melody. Okay, sixth track, we get to Han Solo and the Princess from Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. The cello starts this work, and the solo violin duets with it for the opening. The familiar love theme emerges in the violin, accompanied by shimmering strings. Uh, this one is more lightly scored, relying a lot on the shimmering tremolos from the strings section to accompany. This particular arrangement has some passion and drama to it. Uh, we do hear some brass by the third minute in the accompaniment, adding a bit of orchestral color to the now big bone playing of the theme. Ends quietly. And uh, the seventh track is Marion's theme from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Did they add his name to this title now? I just know it is Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> anyway, that's what it says on the CD case. Shimmering string opening with pizzicati and the basses. The violin comes in and plays the familiar theme. Kind of what you'd expect. Warm-hearted, expansive orchestration accompanying Mutter's violin. All three of these come up in gorgeous sound. 
they're very repetitive because um you know they're for a movie there's not really any intervening material i didn't find them terribly interesting really but you know they're familiar so nice to hear they were just so these three works are just as advertised they're dessert and they're well played um also i should mention the uh, the cover art on this is pretty striking as well it's got that blue background that recent um uh, Deutsche Grammophon recordings have been going for in the last few years. And um, it's a performance of John Williams conducting and, and Sophie Mutter standing in a strapless canary yellow dress against this blue. It's really striking. She kind of, the, the dress is the color of the Deutsche Grammophon scroll. Uh, so it, I think she's matching that. And um, <laughs> it's, it really does draw the attention. It's all very bright. The dress and the blue background. So, um, I don't know. I think, yeah, if you like John Williams' music, give this a listen. You might be a little surprised. Um, he's uh, more, there's more to him than uh, than Star Wars, if you're not familiar with his concert work. Yeah, this was interesting because, well, we had done a uh, Nino Rota recording yeah. before, right? Another right. Know, person yeah. who's known for their you know, themes, but well, also wrote serious We did classical the chamber music. music. Chamber works, we right. Did cha- that was really good. That was I remember that one. Yeah. yeah. So this was really interesting to me because I hadn't listened to any of John Williams' serious classical works before. And I was surprised by the real modern harmony uh, he is, especially in the first movement and uh, the things he had the violin doing. Um, but I also liked that he brought some of his film score sort of techniques to the orchestration with this full kind of cinematic scope and huge dynamics uh, with the uh, right. percussion and a nice use of the uh, low brass in there too. And then also getting some sweetness uh, with the harp kind of textures and things. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was well balanced out. Kind of interesting. I don't have a really good grasp on the whole arc of the piece. I'd have to listen to it a couple more times. Yeah, it's, but, it's, uh, it's actually fair, complicated enough that you really have to hear it a few yeah. times, I think. But I like that balance um, of, the, you know, he obviously has a a good idea of what he wants to do in sort of uh, modern classical idiom. And as I mentioned, the harmony was intriguing, but I like that he brought some of those satisfying, especially that one beat. As you said, you'll jump out of the chair when you hear that uh, huge there boom. There are quite a few the, moments like in that. In the bass yeah. drum, yeah. So that was good. And uh, as I say, I, these other uh, themes, they're well played, but they're kind of just filler uh, on here. The arrangements are nice, featuring her violin in the new arrangements. Uh, I thought the uh, theme from The Long Goodbye was really sweet sounding, uh, highlighted her tone. But uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting to hear what he's able to do. In uh, he's how old is he now? He's he's got to be getting up there. He's, I think he's eighty. He's probably oh, okay. around eighty. Yeah, Great. still writing new <laughs> things. So yeah, I'd be open to uh, listening to some more of his uh, you know serious classical works as well. Uh, I always enjoy the way he uh, gets the colors of the orchestra doing uh, interesting Ooh, things. I, born nineteen thirty-two. He's ninety. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Boy, I got that wrong. <laughs> How about that? Oh, He's great. celebrating his 90th birthday this year. Or he already did. I'm not sure yeah. what it is. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. Great. Amazing. Well, fantastic. Glad. This is what I love about music. Yeah, we're, we're gonna, they're going to put us out to pasture one day at the school we work at. But if you're an artist, you just get to work until you die, which is kind of nice, I think. And you're doing pretty much what you want. Well, I'm going to say we got another 90-year-old uh, on this uh, podcast coming up later. So 
It must uh, keep oh, you young. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Music keeps yeah. you young. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah. Well, maybe this we'll be able to do this till we're ninety. We'll yeah. have to see. Hope so. <laughs> so. All right. Well, on to the jazz section then, and uh, well, we've got a Brazilian breeze flowing through tonight. We do. That's a title, right? Yeah. Are we saying a breeze from Brazil or something? A breeze from from Brazil, I think. Yeah. And uh, not only that, we're also going to hear a lot of harmonica this evening, uh, which you don't get a lot of jazz harmonica recordings. Once in a while, one makes it on my list, but uh, two of them matched the Brazilian theme, and so I figured I'd work all that together. We're going to start out with a recording that uh, has been on my list for a while, and you know, normally uh, I'll pull out recordings, I try to keep it fresh within the last two months. Now this recording goes back to March, and uh, when I heard it, I was really fell for this recording right away and i shared it with you and i know you yeah, really it liked me. it too uh, but yeah. it just sort of slipped through the cracks of being able to get it with something else and uh, i was kind of removing all the uh, releases from april and uh, earlier from my list because it was growing and i said you know what we're going to get this one out there because everyone needs to hear this if you even like uh Brazilian music a little bit. Uh, this is uh, such a pleasing uh, recording uh, in almost every way. And this is uh, on gateway music. It's uh, Cadencia Verde y Amarela. Uh, so green and yellow cadences, which are reflected in the colors on the cover. And this is uh, by the Danish bassist Morten Ankerfeldt and his uh, fourth collaboration uh, with Brazilian guitarist Caio Marcio Santos and uh, for this recording they've got the uh, Brazilian flautist and saxophonist uh, Edu Neves and uh, a host of other musicians on here and this is I can't say enough about this recording I'm so glad we finally got it uh, on yeah, here me too. actually the other frustrating thing about this week's program for several releases was it was really hard to find uh, information uh, online you know about all the musicians performing uh, or the songwriting credits. I was having a real hard time with this one. And, and so I wrote to Morton and he replied to me right away. So thank you, Morton, uh, for sending me the full uh, recording information uh, for this release. So now I know who played what on uh, every track. And uh, I'm going to give credit as we go along. So uh, anyway, on uh, Upright Wood Basses, Morton, Ankerfeld, the uh, Danish bassist, acoustic guitar, uh, Kyle Marcio Santos, Edu Nevis on flute, wood flute, and tenor saxophone. Luisa Lacerda is on vocals on only one track, track seven. Uh, Matthias Hesse, I believe is the pronunciation. Harmonica on here, track four and eight. Christina von Bulo, uh, alto sax on tracks five and nine. Uh, Baby Kramer, accordion, tracks three and ten. Cecius Thepperson drums on three tracks, three, six, and eight. We've got a little bit of extra percussion on here too. Uh, Jovi uh, Jovinano II on uh, Pandeiro, which is kind of like a tambourine, but I believe it has an adjustable tensioned head, so you can uh, uh, do some more things with it. Another assorted percussion as well. Bernardo F. Aguiar, also on uh, Pandeiro on tracks two and nine. Gabriel Policarpo on tambourine and conga. Uh, and that rounds out the musicians on here. So this, as I said, is the fourth album by the uh, duo 
of uh, bass and guitar on here, and also the 10th anniversary of uh, their first uh, playing together. And uh, I really think the mixture of the flute and woodwinds on here uh, makes it really special recording. Uh, so let's go through it. Uh, we're going to start with uh, the track one, Cadencia. This is a Santos composition. Uh, it starts out with a lovely rubato theme on the guitar by Santos. Uh, Ankerfeld on bass and Nevis on flute join in just before one minute when it gets into uh, its tempo. Uh, there's no percussion needed on this track, uh, with Ankerfeld's bass keeping the pulse nicely. Nevis takes over the melody, goes into relaxed improvisations uh, with a warm and slightly breathy tone. Santos has a go-around on the melody shape, with Nevis playing an accompaniment and soft trills before going around the melody himself once more. On the final repeated strain, guitar and flute are in unison on the melody before each has a separate line uh, and a final descending run on the flute. Uh, listen carefully at the end for the high overtones on the flute. That's uh, kind of interesting just before it fades out. Track two is uh, Nevis original, Mascherica Chinoquina. Santos guitar starts this one out with a real infectious rhythmic chord intro. Bass, Pandero, and conga join in, and then Nevis floats the slinky melody on flute. Uh, there are cool little stop time breaks where the others leave the flute on its own, creating anticipation. Then there's a second harmonized flute part added. I guess they dubbed it over there. Gives it a, a little bit extra effect on there. Uh, there's a break for a guitar solo, and percussion drops out just leaving the bass underneath Santos. Here's some nice smooth lines, incorporating some of the triplet ideas from the melody. Uh, the percussion joined back in to build it up. There's another little break into a return of the melody by the flute. Next, Ankerfeld gets a bass solo. He's got a really nice deep woody tone, but he keeps the performance very rhythmic, uh, playing a cool double-stopped fall, and then more double-stopped ideas in punchy intervals. There's another a round of the melody on flute, and then Nevis gets a solo himself. He sticks around the melody with some cool swoops and fiery, breathy figures. It ties back into the melody, and the second flute joins in on a repeat to the end. This one I had on, and it got my wife up and dancing off the sofa, which usually doesn't oh, nice. happen, because a lot of the music we play for this podcast puts my marriage in danger of continuing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, this one uh, was enjoyed by uh, everyone around. Uh, really infectious uh, dance-like rhythm on this track. Track three, another Santos mm. original, As Aventuras de Oscar en Montreal, the... Adventures of Oscar in Montreal. I don't know what Oscar that would be, but uh, interesting. Uh, anyway, this one, uh, we get accordion from uh, Bebe Kramer uh, jumping into the intro here over the light subdivided brush drumming of Cassius Thepperson uh, and a nice pulse on the bass from Ankerfeld. Uh, here, Nevis is featured on tenor sax on the melody. Uh, the accordion swells underneath, provides answering fills between his smooth phrases. There's a contrasting section where the rhythm changes up from the groove just after one minute. Uh, the sax drops out and the accordion uh, features uh, over lines in the guitar. The drum brushwork comes back and sax rejoins for the melody. Uh, Kramer takes an accordion solo over the changing grooves with speedy lines. And then it's Ankerfeld's turn. Uh, he keeps the rhythmic pulse going in his solo, getting into both the upper and lower ranges of the bass. Sax and accordion then go around the first part of the melody, and then they vamp around the contrasting minor section with fun accordion and sax fills as the tune fades out. 
track four, a Joao Gilberto tune, Hobalala. Uh, you've probably heard this one before. Uh, it's a nice syncopated kind of uh, hesitating intro on guitar and bass into a relaxed percussion groove by Giov- Giovinniano. This one features the harmonica of uh, Hesse on the melody. Nevis works around him a bit on tenor and takes over a section of the melody before they join in together in unison. Uh, then Hesse gets a solo. It's a very relaxed but wonderfully rhythmic phrasing and uplifting melodies on harmonica. Uh, Nevis starts the melody again on sax, and then Hesse joins him getting into some harmony this time, and then they improvise playfully around each other to the end. Uh, Nevis with simple lines, and Hesse with darting phrases. Very nice. Track 5, an Elton Medeiros tune, Presentimento. Santos comes in on the first melody section alone, backing himself on guitar with a rhythmic kind of figure uh, playing, and then Ankerfeld takes a turn with it on bass. Christina von Bulo then joins in on alto sax. It's a lovely melody that kind of sandwiches an uplifting major change of harmony between two like minor boss of bread slices there. <laughs> I really like that uh, kind of uh, change in the middle. Conga and light percussion add more rhythm to Angerfeld's bass pulse. Uh, Santos gets a guitar solo of fluid lines, and Von Bulo takes over on as they uh, changed uh, to major there for a nicely articulated solo. She has a really fat alto sound, uh, and she plays out the last section of melody, and then Ankerfeld gets a bass solo. Uh, he makes this one very melodic with a ringing tone in the upper register. There's more melody from the sax, and they all go around again, stretching out the ending just a bit for a final sax phrase. Track six, we another Neves composition, Pile Peleque. Uh, a blazing guitar run from Santos starts it out. Uh, Ankerfeld joins in and sets an infectious bass groove. Uh, Thepperson is back on drums here, and Santos adds rhythmic chord backing as an eight-beat kind of feeling uh, of the groove gets going. Uh, over the top, Neves adds a fiery flute melody line. I'm guessing this is the wood flute here. It's just got that real kind of different tone to it, very organic. Uh, It's a great melody uh, with some nice harmonic twists and uh, contrasting sections. The groove is really pumping into the flute solo, and Nevis really excites here with his tone and some fluttering before bringing it down to a bluesy end. Santos is next for a guitar solo that is rhythmic, but also has another blazing run in it. And then Nevis adds backing harmonized flute lines Uh, with some cool scoops before returning to the melody. They let the groove go on for a while uh, with more flute fun, and Ankerfeld and Nevis work a cool syncopated rhythmic figure to the end. And now we've got our only vocal number on here uh, by Geraldo Barbosa and uh, Gerardo Jacques, uh, Tim Tim por Tim Tim, and this features uh, Luisa Lacerda. It starts with a breathy flute intro over bass and guitar. They've got the rhythm locked in perfectly. No percussion needed here. And Lacerda has fun with the lyrics with nice phrasing. I don't (laughs) understand Portuguese myself, so I translated it into English and it's kind of uh, got interesting lyrics. It's kind of, (laughs) you've got to give, you've got to give, when you promise my love, send my ring back and then <laughs> send my portrait back and things like that. Uh, so it's kind of uh, interesting lyrics. 
Um, oh, Nevis works in uh, some breathy counter lines uh, under her voice, uh, and then they do a nice uh, unison line with the voice and flute before he goes off on a flute solo. He really connects flowing lines almost endlessly here. Uh, that connects back to the melody once more on flute, and then another vocal verse. Uh, the flute adds some nice harmony to the climax of long notes for her vocal, and the ending section is very cool with a mysterious kind of menacing harmony and flute exhalations, uh, very breathy there. Uh, so interesting tune, and nice to have one vocal on there. Then we've got a Joel Gilberto tune for eight uh, bim bom. Tipperson hits it off on the drums, and Santos and Ockerfeld have the groove right away. Uh, Nevis adds breathy rhythmic flute puffs here. Then Hess sneaks in on harmonica and gets some rhythmic chords before taking over the melody. Nevis supports on flute and takes over for a section before they join in together. Uh, then Hesse has a solo, keeping the relaxed feel but showing some fast agility too. Nevis is next with a flute solo that starts and ends in the warm lower register. Uh, and then our harmonica and flute trade off phrases, join together weaving lines before coming back to the melody with some rhythmic fun and a pretty harmonized ending. Track nine, a tune everyone knows, Antonio Carlos Hobim's Desafinado. Everyone knows it, but they give it an original intro. So <laughs> you might uh, mm -hmm. not recognize the beginning because I think it's something they've arranged uh, uniquely here. It's got Nevis's flute playing some rhythmic figures. Uh, before Von Bulo gets the famous melody on alto sax. Ockerfeld has a nice bass pulse going, and Aguiar has some really nice accented pandeiro playing, uh, keeping time with the light percussion. Nevis adds some backing on flute behind the sax, and Von Bulo gets a melodic and breezy sax solo before uh, Nevis gets his own flute solo. And then the sax comes back, once again, tying it into the melody. They get a little jam going with flute riffs and bass answers to that uh, before the sax and flute get to blow over the groove. And track 10, one of Ankerfeld's originals, uh, Feliz. This one, I think maybe it's his uh, son is like laughing in the background uh, to start it out. Mm. And it's kind of cute beginning that goes into a rubato uh, melodic bass intro. Uh, from Ankerfeld. Uh, Santos plays some figures underneath. Uh, there's some kind of percussion chimes uh, ringing. And then uh, that intro ends in a new faster tempo for the tune, which is picked up on the break uh, by Bebe Kramer on accordion. Uh, there are a lot of little attractive breaks in the percussion rhythm along the way as the melody goes along. Uh, it sort of creates some anticipation. Uh, Nevis joins in on tenor sax. Uh, it's all sunny and happy until a minute and 50 seconds when things turn mysterious with some trills. A new hand clapping groove begins and uh, Ankerfeld gets a rhythmic bass line figure going that the others join in on in unison. Uh, I hear some flute joining in here on this part too. Uh, and then Nevis gets a sax solo with the accordion pumping out an accompaniment. Uh, it kind of evolves back into the original groove and melody with sax and accordion repeating the last line twice. And then a flute is added on top of that. Uh, so an interesting kind of twisting and turning tune. Then we've got a tune by uh, K. Shimbino, Ternura, track 11. This one has uh, Nevis on breathy tenor and Santos on guitar to start out this uh, warm, slow, and uh, free-flowing uh, song. Nevis' tone almost breaks on one tension-filled note. It's great. Uh, a lot of emotion uh, right there. A sense of motion develops and uh, Ankerfeld joins in. It's lovely with just the three musicians and lots of space. Uh, it's a very pretty melody. 
Uh, Nevis takes a solo, always relaxed, but adding more tension in the upper register. He ends it down low with a little rhythmic figure that Ankerfeld picks up on to start his solo. It's warm, melodic, really singing over Santos's gently uh, rhythmic chords underneath. And Nevis adds some counter lines here and there, uh, and then comes back uh, for one more time through the melody, uh, ending on a low note of breath with the final line of guitar rising to the last warm bass note. So this is a really fabulous recording. It's one of the most beautiful I've heard this year. Uh, the instrumentation is varied. It's perfect for each song. Uh, wonderful different tones of flutes, sax, harmonica, accordion. It's excellent arranging, and the percussion and drums are only used where they add something to the songs. Uh, the interplay especially between Ankerfeld and Santos is great. They've got a real mind meld of playing together. It shows that it's their fourth uh, recording together, but I do hope they do more because I could listen to this uh, all the time. Uh, fabulous recording. Everyone should hear this. Yeah, I've been listening to this ever since you uh, first sent it my way in March. It's just, I've been, I've been looking for it on a CD ever since too, yeah. but I haven't been able to uh, locate it. I don't think it's, so I want to encourage, if there's no CD available, I want to encourage the, the artists to put one out. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I couldn't find one to get in Japan, this. but it would be definitely yeah. one to own. It's just that beautiful. Yeah, I love. I would listen to this all the time. The whole album feels so good. It's fairly relaxed. Uh, the sounds are all welcome and pleasant. Uh, guitar, flute. Um, is that a harmonica, you said? There's harmonica and, yeah. and accordion there, too, yeah. And accordion, too. I can really tell. Yeah. It's really funny how the harmonica and the accordion have this sort of similar sounds. Sometimes I can't really tell them yeah, apart. Yeah. It's when kind the, of interesting. When the harmonica is mic'd up, it can sound really big and that reed can yeah. you know, sound like a, an accordion. Yeah. Yeah. All of the instruments come out rich in tone. It was, a, it was a rainy week here. And at least when I heard this at the beginning of the week, it was really rainy and having this wonderful Brazilian jazz lifting my spirits at the beginning of the week was just fantastic. Um, yeah. Highly recommend. This one is also gonna, uh, I'm afraid, um, because the way we do the end of the year um, is, um, you know, I pick the 10 jazz and you pick the 10 classical. We sort of swap. Yeah. And I'm, I'm afraid this is going to be on my list. So I'm going to steal your fire a little bit. Yeah. You'll get the comment on it, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like this a lot too. We, but this is really, I think, at the top of both of our lists. It's yeah, great. absolutely. And uh, yeah. thank you very much, Morton, for sending the uh, all the credits for this. So I hope a lot more people get to listen to this. It deserves to be heard uh, far and wide because it's a really enjoyable recording. Having got that mm. out, um, you know, rounding out this Brazilian program, as I said, these harmonica uh, recordings I came across came up and they all both had a Brazilian kind of connection to them. And so I said, okay, uh, let's go with this idea. And so the second recording is uh, on uh, Alpha Music Label by the uh, Italian pianist Stefania Tallini. And uh, she's with one of the world's outstanding harmonica players from Brazil. He's also a composer, uh, Gabriel Grossi. And uh, they have a guest, the uh, Brazilian cellist Jacques Mellenbaum, who I guess is a big figure in classical music in uh, Brazil. And uh, this release is called Brasita. Tallini is a jazz pianist and composer who's kind of got an original piano and compositional style, which has a lot of influences from jazz classical music and also uh, Brazilian music. She's got uh, around 11 uh, records of her own out by now. And as I said, Grossi is uh, one of the world's top harmonica players here and uh, composes uh, 
Brazilian music. And so it's kind of an interesting combination uh, together here with some of their own original tunes. Now, this was the one that I <laughs> I had a hard time with because, you know, uh, I do like Brazilian and, and uh, uh, other South American music a, a lot. And I know a lot of composers, but I don't know a lot of composers too. So yeah. I, I always want to learn, you know, the tunes. And a lot of times, you know, on jazz recordings, they'll take some sort of kind of popular songs from, you know, Brazilian pop songs from before that I would have no idea about and do a jazzier versions and they may be really well written. So I want to know the names. Well, I couldn't find the uh, composer credits for this recording, even on uh, Tomini's website. And I even downloaded the press kit. <laughs> so I knew what microphones were used <laughs> on the recording, <laughs> but I couldn't find the composers. And uh, so interestingly, after searching uh, around for a while, I found a site that has all the composers for almost any release you can find. There's one problem with it, Mike. It's in Chinese. <laughs> oh, so man. you can put in any any recording, even the uh, minor label. It's on this Chinese site. And uh, the album titles and the song uh, composers come up in Romanized writing. Uh, but I have no idea what the rest of the site's... It says because my Chinese is kind of rusty at this point, although I did study it uh, years ago. Wow. Uh, anyway, that's my hack for finding uh, uncredited uh, composers for tunes now. So goes in. Yeah, my I just want to say, everybody out there, credit credit the composers. They're the ones who are really bringing this music into the world. You, yeah. They they really deserve that. You know, right. get get their names out there. Yeah. You know, especially us, you know, um, even if these songs are all popular in Brazil, we, we don't know them outside of Brazil. We need to know who, who wrote yeah. these songs. Anyway, what's on here is uh, mostly their uh, Talini and Grossi's original tunes uh, and a couple famous uh, composers, too. Um, but I'd just like to always uh, confirm who's uh, got the arrangements going. Uh, anyway, let's start out this one. Uh, it begins with a Talini original, uh, Aveva. Uh, it begins with an arpeggiated piano intro uh, to the harmonica melody with answering phrases from the cello. Piano arpeggiation continues as the harmonica and cello trade off, sometimes uh, joining in together. Uh, harmonica also joins in unison with the piano on strains. It's a sweet melody by Tallini, and the interweaving of uh, the instruments is nice, capped off by cello bowing uh, for the ending. Uh, so nice original piece, uh, getting the cello in right away to add a little extra texture. Track two is Grossi's original piece, uh, Hermanos. It's got a rhythmic piano intro, percussive left hand for the flighty harmonica lines. There's some rhythmic interplay that ensues and then a faster tempo theme and main melody emerges. Grossi carries it with intensity, uh, driven by Tallini's accents until it resets to a rubato piano section. Uh, Grossi returns emerging from the lower register, sounding almost like an accordion here. He's singing such a thick tone. Uh, the intense rhythmic push returns in the piano, with Grossi playing impressively speedy lines above, reaching into the uh, harmonica stratosphere range before another slow down uh, to a piano interlude. Again, Grossi comes out of the low register with flutters and bent pitches before things return to speed and a surprise ending. Hey, and then we've got uh, a tune by Puccini. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, this is a really yeah. famous one. O mio babino caro, right. arranged by Tallini herself. Uh, yeah, famous melody here. 
high register piano melody and nice accompaniment with uh, left hand by Talini make this uh, introduction for Grossi to come in with the waltzing melody very softly. I like the little alterations of pitch he adds to the ends of notes and his articulation. The piano takes over the melody and it ebbs and flows over arpeggiated figures before Grossi returns for some improvisation. Nice phrasing that includes some interval gaps that I imagine are really hard to play on uh, <laughs> harmonica. <laughs> Tallini has another section with more chimed out notes before a return to the melody played by Grossi and a unison uh, joining with the piano before a final slower and softer ending. Then we've got Heto Villalobos' composition, Festa del Sertao. Tallini really chimes out the rhythmic opening to this one. Grossi joins in sync with the melody line. There's a piano interlude that pounds to a softer reset for a new theme. Grossi flies with some impressive speedy lines. Uh, I think he's a bit overpowered in the mix by the piano sometimes. They return to the locked-in rhythmic melody and the harmonica cuts through more clearly in the higher register. There's a new section that has the harmonica reaching both extremes of its register and it pushes to a chiming climax before transitioning into another uh, run through the theme and a dynamic ending. A super busy piano part on this one. Uh, track 5, Antonio Carlos' Hobim tune, uh, Hola Maria. Intense piano start of the intro chords that turns mellow and melancholy and then begins the sextuplet left-hand figures uh, that are notable from the original arrangement. Mendelbaum joins in on a high and sweet cello line and then Grossi continues the legato lines on the harmonica uh, before handing it back to Mendelbaum. Grossi then gets some shaky and bendy lines over the cello and piano uh, before playing the legato line on his own and then trading it off with the cello. Grossi has another run through the melody and the high register in unison with the piano, and they close it out with a little more cello, piano, and harmonica into the higher register. Uh, then we've got a tune uh, most people will recognize, uh, Ennio and Andrea Morricone's uh, Nuovo Cinema Paradiso. I used to play this one on trumpet some years ago. Oh, really? Um, huh. Have you seen this movie? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I like that um, a lot. This is good. Uh, long legato harmonica notes over rhythmic piano uh, make an intro for this. Comes to a little pause, and then Grossi carries the melody and has some nice improvisations on the famous theme. On the final run through the melody, piano and harmonica finish it uh, with a unison line. Uh, so it's just uh, you know a theme. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people know this one. Uh, then we've got another Tallini original Rito Tango. Trilli and free-floating piano intro is joined by cello and then harmonica as it becomes a bit mysterious and modal sounding. Uh, after a pause, a tango rhythm emerges in the left hand of the piano and Mendelbaum adds some legato cello lines. Uh, Grossi joins in and they are soon in a trio tango dance with rhythmic melodies. Uh, Mendelbaum has another, or Mellenbaum rather, has another nice lyrical improvised melody section uh, in the warm middle register of the cello. And Grossi has a really energy pack solo here with dazzling lines and Tallini takes a solo too. She starts it more relaxed and works up into a rhythmic intensity of chiming chords and runs. The harmonica uh, and then cello have another melody strain each before coming in together and then the cello doubles the piano left hand tango rhythm and some interplay uh, to the end. Track 8 is a Tallini Grossi combined composition Chopaniana. <laughs> Uh, coming from Chopin, uh, or Chopiniana, maybe it's called. This one has arpeggiated waltzing piano left hand and a legato piano melody into 
Grossi's harmonica melody. Atalini has a contrasting section solo on piano, and then Grossi joins in again for some improvising over the melody. He has nice phrasing and creates nice cascading lines that tumble to the rhythm. There's a final nice melody exposition in the high register of the harmonica. Track 9 is another combined uh, Grossi-Tallini composition, Navia do Bach. <laughs> uh, so you get a little Bach-esque kind of things going on here. It's an interesting rhythmic melody that has some Bach-like counterpoint that develops. Tallini takes a piano solo that becomes more free and rhythmically varied, but still has an anticipating uh, push to it. Grossi has a solo that starts relaxed, but then shows off his impressive technique uh, with double-time figures. Uh, they then work the theme in unison before splitting off into some diverging lines and a few false endings before it comes to a close. And track 10, the final one, a Grossi original, Nosa Valsa. And uh, lush piano and cello melody in a medium slow waltz. Grossi joins in and there's some nice interplay of harmonica and cello lines. A piano and cello take it through another section with a little slowdown until the return of the harmonica for the melody, again working nicely uh, with the cello to a pretty ending. And that's it. So it's a, uh, you know, a pretty recording. It doesn't uh, explore a lot of uh, variety through it, but uh, it does highlight Grossi's impressive harmonic uh, virtuosity, and I like the blend of the cello in there too, and good sonics on this recording as well. Yeah, we've got good sonics like throughout really this um, particular mm. episode. We have really a feast for the ears. I thought this record it was gentle. It was very pretty. One one thing that really started getting to me though is that the piano in in the bass in the the harmony part, she she plays arpeggiated figuration on so many tracks that I was sort of getting kind of annoyed <laughs> by it at some mm. point. You know, uh, it, it came on only a Babino character and, and it was on the first two tracks too. I was like, you know, do something else <laughs> with the left hand. Yeah. You know, that's kind of a... I, I feel like that's kind of her, um, you know, sort of um, fallback. Like when she's she wants to play something, she'll just start doing that. But I, feel, I mean, I feel like if you make it a record, you got to, you know, think these things through. You do mm. that once, you do something else. Um the piano is constantly playing. The sound doesn't change much. She's a good player, um, but um, the har the harmonica kind of saved it for me. I really did like hearing that. It gave the album mm. a unique feel. Um, yeah, I wasn't. I, it was good. I wasn't terribly interested in it, but it was. Um, it was a nice thing to yeah, hear. Yeah, it's pretty. I guess. Could use a little bit of. You might know. be a more variety in in arrangement of, of a little the more piano. variety. Yeah, I'd I agree say. With that. Yeah. yeah. Part of the problem with that kind of thing when you're playing the arpeggio figure. That's what all pianists you know do when they're sort of improvising a classical pianist if they're amateurs they'll start playing some art chopin like arpeggio figure you know it's sort of like the go-to thing so that was kind of that's why it sort of bothered me to hear mm -hmm. her do it so much you know she doesn't do it on every track i mean she does yeah. do some rhythmic things towards the end but i heard it, i heard it a little too often yeah i thought it could get a little more variety anyway. on that one but um, well, the next um, right, right. recording is going to have a lot of uh, variety on it here, and uh, this yeah, is the final is. harmonica showpiece, and also uh, our other ninety-year-old musician who's still going strong, yeah. and uh, that's going to be the master right. of uh, Brazilian harmonica and uh, kind of a friend of the great master Atuts Thielsman from uh, hmm. way back when. Uh, that's Mauricio Einhorn, 
on harmonica and he's here on this recording with uh extraordinary bass player but not only bass as you'll see on this recording uh tiago espirito santo and this is on the solo sesc label afinidades uh, i guess which would be affinities uh, in english he, he's got a fantastic name too tiago espirito yeah. santo his his last his family name is holy yeah. spirit great name. wow yeah uh, Einhorn was uh, born in 1932, so that makes him uh, 90 now, uh, from Rio de Janeiro. Mm -hmm. uh, he started playing the uh, or playing around with a harmonica at age five, uh, so he's been playing for a long time. Harmonica and Brazilian style music has uh, been his life, and he's played with uh, lots of famous people: Jim Hall, David Sanborn, Paquito de Rivera, uh, Bobby McFerrin, Sarah Vaughan, Cannonball Adderley. Herbie Mann wow. <laughs> uh, and even uh, Hobie uh, have, uh, has recorded uh, his compositions too. Uh, so he's a composer as well. And uh, he's here with uh, bassist uh, Santo, like 42 years old, but also a hell of a guitarist. And we're going to hear here uh, a combination of their composition uh, work, which is absolutely fabulous too. Uh, that really helps make this album. On this uh, recording, uh, we've got uh, Santo on bass, uh, mainly he plays fretless electric bass, uh, but also acoustic guitar and uh, electric guitar on this recording is all done by him. Drums, let's see, Cuca Tejera, if I'm pronouncing that right, not sure. Electric piano and piano Bruno Cardoso. Uh, flute, Jota P, that's his name, just as a P with a period uh, must be a stage name right? <laughs> uh, as I said Einhorn on harmonica uh, tenor sax also by Jota P on several tracks uh, there's one track uh, with vocals Biagoes and Junior Mereles and so let's get into these tunes the first one uh, some of the compositions uh, also have uh, another collaboration uh, with uh, another person as the first one which is Einhorn's composition also credited with uh, Arnaldo Costa, and it's burlesque. This one starts with a alternating bass in piano notes. It's like A, B flat. So it's a chromatic thing in the bass and piano that repeat and get louder. It builds up a lot of tension. You think, what's going to happen here? And then suddenly it's released into this happy waltzing melody uh, uh, that's completely different in character uh, on Einhorn's harmonica. And he just always sounds really happy. <laughs> That's probably why he's lived so yeah. long, uh, because the, this gorgeous music just comes out of his harmonica. Uh, there's some cute little gaps in the rhythm uh, that's going along for Einhorn to carry over, and the chromatic bass figure uh, returns at the end of the line just to remind you of that intro. Nice touch of composition. There's nice brushwork uh, from uh, Tejera on the drums that keeps the waltz feel. Uh, with nice punctuated bass playing from Santo. Uh, the credits list Santo as playing guitar as well, so I guess you know this is all overdubbed on here, uh, as we'll find out as we go through the recording. Uh, there's a contrasting section where electric guitar takes over from the harmonica on the melody. This does some nice interplay with Santos's electric bass, which has a huge fat sound here. It gets way down low. Based on this, I'm gonna work your woofers a lot. Uh, Einhorn returns. Yeah, I like the Patatucci yeah. recording last week. Yeah. <laughs> Einhorn returns for more melody. Uh, there's some great bass lines underneath it from Santo. Uh, Einhorn is up for a melodic solo next. 
followed by Cordoza on piano and then Santo on bass. Uh, the rounded tone on the fretless bass here is huge and buttery, I call it. And uh, Santo mm. shows his smooth chops uh, with double stopping, fast figures, and runs up high and low. Einhorn takes us through the melody again and then surprises, quoting the uh, French national anthem at the end, uh, just when you think the yeah. tune is over. There's a little waltz groove that starts up again for a coda, and uh, with just the rhythm section then th that continues, uh, and then it slows down a bit to finish it. So interesting little ending there. I kind of had this sort of French sort of uh, feeling to this, and then the yeah, Marseillaise came the Marseillaise. Oh, wow. I, I guess think that that's was the right. idea. It was like a burlesque, a, a French little kind of waltzing thing. I want to mention. Um, I, yeah, I was mentioning John Patitucci's big fat bass sound. It was on, that was on the Marco Pacassoni right. album that we talked yes. about last week. That, it wasn't That's right. His album. And uh, okay. he was very nice. Uh, he was happy that we talked about it. And uh, yeah, he shared the uh, our episode and some of the things we said on his uh, cool. on his Facebook page. So that uh, that was nice. Uh, really happy that he was interested in what we said about thanks, it. Thanks, Marco. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, let's see. The next tune is also. Here, an Einhorn composition, also with uh, Alberto Araujo. Uh, it's called Contrastando. A little rhythmic intro featuring acoustic guitar work, uh, as well as bass from Santom. There's a little flute in there, too, uh, from Jota P. Einhorn plays the melody in the lower and mid-registers over the floating boss of rhythms here. Uh, there's a little uplifting, contrasting section with rising piano figures and uh, some more flute. Uh, then the Pulsing rhythm gives way to a slow floating section with more flute and buttery bass melody by Santo with light cymbal accents in the back. The bossa beat returns, as does Einhorn, for a solo with bubbling melodic phrases and nice rhythmic figures. Cardoza gets a short piano solo and then Santo uh, on more rapid bass lines, so smooth and fast but with clear articulation. Uh, once more for the melody, Einhorn adding some low chords to it this time. Uh, it goes through the contrasting section and fades out over the floating flute and bass part uh, with Santos adding some slick bass harmonics in there. Another Einhorn and Araujo composition for number three, a Marburg. Uh, this one's got a samba beat intro on the drums. Ajotapi is on tenor sax here with the happy melody, which is doubled in the piano. Einhorn circles around them and adds some answering lines. Uh, there's a solo break, and Einhorn hints at a country hoedown on the harp before uh, getting into some more smooth <laughs> melodies connected through short phrased ideas. There's another break, but Einhorn continues blowing through it <laughs> before then passing it off to Santos for an electric guitar solo. It's fluid smooth with tons of double stop notes and slides, relaxed phrasing and cool accents. Then there's a really pregnant break like that <laughs> before Cordozo gets a piano solo. Uh, he plays very melodic ideas with nice left-hand accented chords. Jotapi gets a tenor solo uh, from the next break. Uh, he keeps it in the groove with nice melodies and a tight sound. Then Santos gets a fluid bass solo, but the articulation will get your woofers moving on this one here. Uh, Einhorn comes back mm -hmm. for once around trading four-bar phrases with some drum soloing by uh, Tejihara. Uh, finally, they all come back uh, for another run through the melody in similar fashion as the beginning with some final echoes from Einhorn. I liked how they had fun mixing up the solo breaks on this tune, either playing through yeah. them or nobody playing at all uh, coming in. It keeps you guessing. It's yeah. kind of fun. 
Not only that, Santo has these really creative bass Amazing, runs yeah. too that he does. They're fantastic. Yeah. It really, it's really interesting to listen to as well as just being yeah. virtuosic yeah, as well. Crazy on on all uh, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, bass. Amazing work, creative and so smooth. Another Arujo and uh, Einhorn composition, uh, España en mi cabeza, <laughs> Spanish in my head. That's right. This one has a fretless <laughs> bass intro with a huge tone. Uh, Einhorn comes in with a slow rubato melody over the rich bass. Uh, Santo has some nice slides and harmonics here. Uh, harmonica and bass make an interesting tonal combination. It becomes a kind of dialogue with bass answering the harmonica ideas before they join in together to the end and a final awesome bass slide <laughs> that just uh, is all hmm. kind of reverby and, and such in the background. Uh, another composition by the same uh, pair for number five, Quinta Jazz e Maes. An electric guitar intro from Santo to this medium tempo tune. Einhorn makes the melody sound lovely with a lot of happy ornaments. There's a contrasting middle section to the melody and a nice descending chord pattern in the last section that's kind of a hook to the tune. Uh, you always know it's coming and it feels good. Uh, Santo takes a jazzy electric guitar solo here, smooth and with more double stops and some fancy triplet figures. Cardozo gets a piano solo that shows a nice sense of touch. And then Einhorn on harmonica, bubbly and exuberant as always, tying it into the melody to the end. Track six, uh, also Einhorn and uh, a composition, uh, Retrato em, I don't know how to count in Portuguese, so it's three by it's four. Just three by four, yes. <laughs> yeah. just say that. <laughs> so this one interestingly alternates between eight bars of four four time and then either eight bars of six eighths yeah. or 16 bars of three four, depending on, I guess, how you count or feel it. Um, so Einhorn carries the breezy melody on harmonica. Cardozo gets a rhythmic piano solo, and then Santo comes out with some smooth, jazzy-toned electric guitar after locking in with the piano rhythm. Harmonica, piano, and guitar trade off some soloing over the continuing waltzing pattern that they stick to once the solos start. Uh, there's a brief melody restatement doubled in the bass and the harmonica, uh, and a final kiss goodbye with the original 4-4 rhythmic figure at the end, just so you know they didn't forget. That's yeah. how it started. Uh, kind of cool. I guess that's where the yeah, I guess that's where the title comes from. The three by four would be yeah. the three beats. Yeah. The, by the four beats, I guess. So I guess yeah, yeah. interesting. I guess that means yeah. it's in three well, four. Yeah, that's how they they stuck with <laughs> it after the that. Six, eight. I don't uh, know. Intro. If yeah. That's how they wrote it. Uh, then another by the same mm. pair, uh, siesta seven and siesta. It is. It's a sleepy and breezy uh, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, intro nice. with uh, yeah. electric piano that gets that nice atmosphere. Acoustic guitar this time too over uh, brush drum work on the intro. Einhorn blows the easy melody on harmonica with some chords added for a nice fullness to the tone. Uh, there are nice rising and falling lines in the guitar and bass underneath that follow the changing harmonies. Uh, I like that a lot. Uh, Santo gets an acoustic guitar solo with interesting rhythmic figures, clear articulation. Cardozo switches to acoustic piano from the electric for a delicate solo. Uh, and then Einhorn takes us through the melody again, and you're ready for a tropical drink and a siesta in the hammock by the sea. <laughs> you get done listening to this tune. Very relaxing. But then again, yeah, I'm, I'm always ready good. for a tropical drink yeah. <laughs> siesta. <laughs> uh, here, uh, track eight is an Einhorn composition also with uh, Claudette Santos, Alberto Cimeri. 
uh, as co-writers. And here we've got uh, some voices that join in. It's the only vocal tune. Uh, it starts with some long ringing piano and bass notes that make an intro as a slow rhythm takes form. Santos works the uh, high melodic bass line into the male vocals by uh, Junior Mayredes and Einhorn fills in between the vocal phrases. Uh, there's a nice syncopated breakup of the rhythm of the vocal melody line in a phrase that makes it interesting. Einhorn takes a little solo before uh, Biagoes is next for the female vocal uh, on the following verse. Uh, it has an interesting change up after that verse. It goes out softly with harmonica and some uh, final piano tinkling. Interesting tune, a nice relaxed vocals by the pair. Track nine, another Einhorn Araujo composition, Blues Cheo de Truque. Blues filled with tricks, I guess is what it's called. And hmm. uh, well, there's just one kind of trick, but it's kind of fun because I don't know if I've ever heard this done before. But it starts as a swinging blues. It's in the key of C. Uh, go through the first four bars. Uh, when you get to bar five, where you're going to get that four chord, you know, that everyone knows is coming in the blues, uh, the rhythm changes up. And uh, now you've got uh, three bars of samba beat <laughs> before it switches mm. back to swing for the rest of the 12 bars. So that's a little trick. Uh, it's kind of cute. Piano and harmonica work the melody going around uh, it twice. So you get a feel for that change up. Santo has some cool bass work going on underneath, handling the shifts in feel from swing to bossa or uh, samba there. Um, Einhorn is up first for a solo. Once they get in the solos, they stick with the swing beat uh, throughout. Uh, Cardozo gets a bluesy piano solo next. And then Santo has a wild bass solo here. Double stops, trills, uh, all kinds of crazy techniques uh, that he does so effortlessly. He's got some kind of, he's got some yeah, kind of filter some going to effects, on that. It's getting some the weird sounds. tones there, yeah. Uh, they go around twice mm. with the melody. Uh, so we get to hear the samba again. Einhorn having a final harmonica tag on the end of it. Track 10 is a Santo original, uh, No Big Deal, it's called. A slow swinging jazzy tune. I like this one. It's kind of uh, in, a, in a regular jazz uh, composition, uh, a little contrast to the Latin stuff. Uh, with the melody here, it's doubled in the piano and Santo's electrics guitar. Uh, there's a nice modulation on the B section of the tune. It's like A-A-B-A -A -A form. Uh, Einhorn joins in on the next time around for a harmonica solo. Gets a little bluesy O oh, Susanna hint in there. I thought it's kind of cute. Um, <laughs> Santo takes a very bluesy bass solo with more of a straight tone here. No effects at all. And then he gets an electric guitar solo. Uh, they give us another go around the melody to finish it off. So a nice little jazzy tune. Uh, other people would like to play this tune too. Another Einhorn and Araujo composition, Osoes. Uh, a big lush sound to start off with electric piano, guitar, and harmonica in a rubato intro. Relaxing tempo start to form before a big pause, and then the tune gets moving along. Einhorn gently plays the melancholy melody. There's another pause in a contrasting section with long ringing guitar and piano notes, then a bass solo from Santo with, I call gooey notes they're kind of wow kind of affecty and uh, sticky uh, into a pause uh, which after which a faster tempo and a spanish feel kind of emerges uh, with some really intense guitar and bass things get a little dreamy with electric piano sounds before returning 
to the original relaxing tempo and a more melodic bass. Uh, then there's a final slowdown to the end with a little harmonica added in. And we're going to finish off. I heard that bass is yeah, watery. watery. I call it it's gooey. Watery. <laughs> watery. Uh, Some kind gooey. of liquid. Okay. Yeah. A final Santo composition, Alligator City. Sounds kind of dangerous. Uh, this is an upbeat, happy, syncopated melody doubled on electric guitar by and uh, Jota P back on tenor sax. Uh, the piano adds some extra punctuation to the end of the melody as well. Uh, Cardozo has a piano solo with some exciting speedy runs over Santo's thumping bass. Uh, Einhorn joins in for a harmonica solo. He always sounds so happy in his melodies. Jota P is next mm. on tenor sax, getting more animated on this one with fast runs, some R&B-influenced phrasing. Santo is next with nice jazzy electric guitar solo, fluid, but with some more of those cool double stops. Uh, he keeps the rhythmic intensity going to the end. Cardoza, Einhorn, Jota, P, and Santo then trade off eights and then fours with uh, Teixeira uh, for some drum soloing. One more round, the happy melody ending uh, with a few final guitar double stops at the end to finish it off. So, a really great recording of Brazilian music. Uh, firstly, the tunes are all Santos and Ihorns originals or collaborations, but they have this familiarity to them right away because of the really strong melodies. You'll think you've heard these before and uh, you know the melodies just stick with you right away. So, really strong writing. Uh, that's helped out by the instrumentation, which gives a lot of variety, sax and uh, uh, harmonica usages here, interesting arrangements. Uh, Santo impresses on bass with tone and technique, but also on electric and acoustic guitar. <laughs> He's doing pretty much everything with strings here. Uh, and finally, Einhorn's enthusiastic melodic harmonica playing always makes you smile. Uh, that happiness uh, must have kept him going for such a long career. Uh, put this one on any day, any weather. You're going to be in a good mood right away and enjoy this uh, really fine playing and nice selection of music. Yeah, I hope that uh, long life inducing happiness comes out yeah. of the speakers <laughs> and uh, we soak it up. Us yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, it it, it very well might. Um, this is a record right away. I was as I was listening to it, I was um <laughs> I was looking online for the CD, and apparently there isn't one yet. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, that will be released on CD. I'm going to want this in the collection too. Um, this is something I'd have playing along you know, a, a lot. It's a wonderful album all the way through. It's got this low-key, mellow, sun-drenched vibe to it. Um, I like the heat of the... It's uh, like the heat of the sun is preventing you from moving faster. Mm. You know, it's got that kind of, that kind of quality. All really positive sounding, uplifting, and even the slower, sadder tracks are... Yeah, there's a kind of yeah. happiness in them. Yeah. You know? I enjoyed the big, fat electric bass sound. And uh, as you said many times, Mauricio Einhorn's uh, harmonica playing was a pleasure throughout. Yeah, please, get get a, get a CD out of this. I want it. <laughs> I'll write to him uh, this week and uh, see if he's got any uh, plans okay. to get that out on CD. Yeah, I, I'd definitely us, like uh, to have this one have in the collection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. But I'll tell you, please, if, if, he, if he's not going to send them, I'll buy them. It's, yeah, it's a really good, good one. one. So there All you right. go. A real nice uh, Brazilian breeze blown through the harmonica and uh, uh, squeezed through the yeah. accordion sometimes and uh, played through a few saxes too. Really nice program. Yeah. Brazilian music always gets you in a nice kind of comfortable place. Not too relaxed, but definitely not stressed out at all. And uh, we've got a good program of things here. Yeah, check all of these out. But uh, 
definitely make sure you check out the uh, first one there um, because that that's going to be something we're going to talk about again. I'm sure it's going to make our best list, the uh, Cadencia Verde Amarela by uh, Morton Ankerfeldt and uh, Kyle Marcio Santos. Uh, just very beautiful uh, recording. Yeah, and if you happen to be buying a stereo this week, you might want to bring all six of these recordings with you to test out your uh, the speakers you're buying. They're all fantastic sounding recordings. Um, you know, so I think this might be one of like the best Sonics programs we've had that would be really good yeah. for testing out what speakers could do, uh, both, you know, in big bombastic yeah. things with uh, the uh, John Williams orchestration, the, John the Williams, subtleties right. of the uh, string quartet and these all the, and the yeah, mandolin, the, right the mandolin yeah. and then all the great different um timbres and tonal qualities of uh, these different instruments on the uh, Brazilian music. Um, yeah. Yeah, like the big fat jazz bass yeah, sound. Yeah, that, that fat bass sound. And, yeah. The uh, liveliness of the harmonica. Really the speakers to work out. It'd be yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. so. Wait. <laughs> Real pleasure for the I almost want to go week. listen to some new speakers, even though I have speakers everywhere. <laughs> My house, I don't have any room for speakers anymore. <laughs> yeah. I've got an right. extra pair of speakers that I will never part with. It's just in the other room, but I can't really yeah. incorporate them anywhere. But you know, if I buy any more, well, I'll be... Something might come up. You know, we, we you, they might have to go into the adult music uh, office one could. day. You know? That's something to, to aim for. So yeah. Yeah. as we that grow our listeners. That's right. Well, <laughs> it's been a fun Brazilian and uh, yeah, just an interesting uh, instrumentation with that Vivaldi and then all these other things. And I think... Uh, Next week, we're going to continue in the Latin spirit, aren't we? I guess we are, yeah. Do you want me to talk about what I got here? It's sort of, um, I, I couldn't really, you wanted to do, I don't know what you wanted to do, but I have um, a Spanish uh, piano record um, mm. for next week uh, called uh, Iberian Impressions, played by uh, Paulo Oliveira, who I believe is a Portuguese um, oh. pianist. He's playing mostly... Spanish. Well, he's playing both Portuguese and Spanish works on this. Um. Then I have the uh, composer Fernando Lopez Grasa. Um, he's uh, some his um, looks like orchestral works. He was a 20th century composer, <clears throat> and um, something I think you'll enjoy. Uh, an album called Corazon, uh, the music of Latin America. This is for um, cello and piano, featuring composers like uh, Leo Brower, Manuel Pons, who a lot of people will know from <clears throat> classical music, and um, even um, some arrangements of Egberto Gismonti, who, whose records we remember from the uh, ECM 1970s on ECM. Oh, yeah. I have a few of those actually in the collection. So I'm looking forward to hearing this and talking about oh, it next cool. week. I've got uh, two Spanish yeah. uh, jazz recordings and one uh, Chilean recording. So we'll get uh, Spain and oh, wow. uh, Latin America. Spain and Latin America. Yeah. We're going kind of – how could you – I wonder how they uh, – how would you classify that entire sphere? I don't know. I don't know. Spain, Portugal, Siberia, then you have Latin America. Yeah. The seeds of Spain and uh, Portugal, I guess. Yeah, Spain and Portugal together are, are yeah, Iberia, Iberia, though. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Iberian seeds. In South America would be... <laughs> Let's we'll not think about something. it too much. Anyway, that's what you got to yeah. look forward okay. to next week. 
That's next right. week. Though. Meanwhile, we have a whole whole yeah. work a week, <laughs> a whole week yeah. of work ahead of but us. It would be good listening. But it's tempered yeah, by all right. this listening. It's really nice. So, you know, um, that playlist yeah. will be uh, up tomorrow after I get this uh, episode published. Uh, and tonight, this episode has been episode seventy-one of Adult Music. Uh, be sure to follow or subscribe on whatever platform uh, you listen to us on. Uh, that'll help us uh, get more listeners, which we'll appreciate. And uh, do check us out on Facebook as well. We'll post some other clips, uh, videos of the uh, music for next week, probably uh, coming up there, along with other little tidbits. Or uh, if you have anything you want to get in touch with us with, uh, you can drop us a line there on Facebook or also by email, adultmusicpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks again to Fast Signs of Staten Island for our neon glowing logo. And uh, Mike, we'll be back again next week with episode 72. We so will. Until then, keep listening. We'll see you again next time. <laughs>